0: Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. This is episode number 44 with the husband, father, and men's coach,
1: Kurt Storing. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong and transcend our limitations in tribes around the world drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time a new day is beginning this is the renaissance of men you are the renaissance
2: all right dads we're going to get into it today talking about the nine uncomfortable truths for fathers. And this was something I recently shared on Instagram. And I wanted to share here too, because I think there's a lot of work we can do by identifying where we are falling short or not accepting these truths, because I think they all have a deeper meaning to them. And I'd like to go into that today. So the first one is sacrificing your own needs for your family is not noble. And a lot of men, especially fathers think, well, I'll just put myself in the back burner. I'm going to show up 100% for my family and don't worry about me. I'll be fine. But the truth is, you're not fine when you do that, are you? When we don't do self-care, when we don't engage in healing work, our family suffers because we are not showing up at 100% for them. We're not showing up at 100% for us. And one of the things that gets lost in this is that you actually matter as a human being. I think as fathers, it's only too easy for us to see the needs of our partners, our children, and to go like, well, I guess it's my lot in life to not really feel like I matter. And that's a tragedy because you actually do matter. And there's one thing about, you know, helping dads and working with dads that I see quite often, which is they come into it looking to do the work for their family. And that is absolutely noble in itself. But if you only try to make your family's life better without making your life better, there's no way you're going to actually be able to do that. They need you to be at 100%. So self-care and healing is not actually selfish. It's selfless. Because when your cup is empty, you can't fill up anyone else's cup. In my opinion, in my experience, in my own life, working on yourself, becoming a better man is the single greatest gift you can give to your children. So if you are sacrificing your entire self, your self-worth, whatever you want to do with your life, if you're not taking care of yourself because you think you need to give it all to your wife and kids, I can almost guarantee you that if you start taking better care of yourself, you will end up taking better care of them and you will model to your children what it looks like to love themselves, to hold themselves in high regard and high self-esteem, and to not give themselves up for anybody else. This is not the message we want to be teaching our children. At least it's not what I want to be teaching my children. So I make sure now that I have a good self-care routine, that my needs are being met, even if... It means I'm taking an hour out of my day to do a men's group call or go to the gym or something like that because I show up when I'm home way better than if I didn't do these things. The second one is one day your children will no longer need you and you get to decide by the actions you take whether this is a gift or a curse. Are your kids going to write you off because they don't trust you and they'll just stop checking in with you? That seems like a terrible, lonely sentencing to have to suffer through as a father when likely you love your children more than anything and you would love to be in their life when they are older. If, however, you are treating your children in a way that has them feel safe and loved and seen and all of these things, they might actually thank you for understanding this truth that they will no longer need you. They'll probably thank you for this because you will have been equipping them with the love and the tools they need to thrive. And part of this is very difficult to understand because we think that we know best for our kids especially when they're young. And as they grow up, they become more independent and that's what we should be shooting for. I think I saw it on Instagram. It was um Ryan Mickler of Order of Man and he said my job as a father is to become obsolete. And I thought that was so good. And it's so hard to understand because, man, do I ever want to be in my kids' lives. Man, do I want to teach them and guide them. And, you know, even as they're an adult, I will have gone through that. So I hope they come to me. And at the same time, if I do my job right, they won't need me at all because I will have given them the tools and the self-worth and the confidence and the resilience parenting them that allows them to blast off into the world and find their own way and perhaps they might want me around. That, I think, is the measure of a good father and child relationship when they're older, is that they don't need you, but they choose to want you in their life when it's good for them. They don't owe you anything. You decided to create them and bring them into this world. They don't owe you anything. And so I think it's incumbent on us to realize this fact early and then work to give them what they will need to be good independent people and to show them the things that we value and to model the behavior that is important to us, including community. I don't want to get that lost in here because it's not about simply they don't need anyone, they don't need community, they just need to be independent. That's not it at all. But they shouldn't need you moving forward. You should, I think like Ryan says, work to make yourself obsolete. I think that would be a great show as a father in my life. Number three is you must prioritize your wife over your children. This is so counterintuitive for a lot of men.
0: What do you think of when you hear the phrase doing work? You probably think of lifting something heavy at the gym, like getting under a barbell and putting up weight while heavy metal screams in your ears. Perhaps you think of sitting down at your desk and grinding out a spreadsheet, a creative project, or a few tweets or emails. Or maybe you think of tools, dirt, sweat, and dusting your hands off at the end of the day and appreciating the beauty of a job well done. Something like that, right? Well, what if I told you that there's another kind of work? A kind of work that's less obvious, but no less important. And in my experience, it's the kind of work that I've seen even the physically strongest man afraid to do. It's called inner work. It doesn't require muscle, Dirt, or even that much sweat. But it does take grit, effort, and tools. Not physical tools, tools like ideas, ways of seeing, and bold questions. It takes courage and determination not to quit until the job is done. And most of all, it takes men, like brothers and friends, because inner work doesn't involve that old bike or truck in the garage, a workshed, or a barbell in the rack because the project you're working on with inner work is you. We've all encountered moments where our physical limitations determine the boundaries of our achievements. We've all wished we were taller to reach that shelf, stronger to roll with the purple belt, or faster to win the race. But what's less obvious is how our inner limitations and our beliefs about ourselves, our stories, and our past holds us back from even greater achievements than we're aware of. This primarily shows up in our relationships. And let's be clear, our whole lives are relationships. Not just your wife or girlfriend, children, siblings, and parents. Your entire workplace is a web of relationships. Your neighborhood and nation as well. Not to mention your social life, your friends, and even the trip to the hardware store where you need to ask the sales clerk where to find that missing piece you need. That is a relational moment. The notion that any man is an island can be disproved with your eyes. We are swimming in a sea of relationships all the time. Even these words, which I'm reading to you right now alone at my desk, are the communication of one man to another. I'm not recording this for me. And just as the quantity and quality of work done on your house determines the kind of home it is in the neighborhood, the quantity and quality of work you've done on yourself can determine the kind of man you are in your relationships as well. We might not want to do this work. We might not even think we need it. But I would argue that today, we have to. Think of inner work like healing from an injury. Imagine you ran track in high school and sprained your knee. Years later, perhaps in your 30s and 40s, due to that injury, your knee gets stiff. You can't bend as freely as you used to. Maybe you can't do a full squat. Maybe you need a brace, or maybe you hobble a bit when running after your son in the grass, not to mention your grandson. Your wife says, hey, maybe you should go to a physical therapist and have that checked out. You say, nah, I'll be all right, as the pain throbs and you know the truth. Inner work is exactly the same. We are all emotionally injured as children, even by the best parents, which not all of us are fortunate to have but emotional wounds as men and women are part of the ticket to earth. And just like seeing a physiotherapist can determine the flexibility of our knee, whether we address our emotional injuries through inner work can determine our emotional and mental flexibility later in life. And in 2022, I believe it's urgent that we as men begin doing this work, because no age in human history, so far as we know, has had so much rapid change in such a short time requiring so much flexibility and adaptability to circumstances changing almost by the hour. So you have Bitcoin, bullets, and beef in the freezer. Your body is prepared. What about your heart? Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Kurt Storing, and he's a husband, father, men's coach, writer, and host of the Dad Work podcast. As he says on his website, dad.work, quote, Hi. My name is Kurt Storing, and I'm a recovering shitty father. The first few years of fatherhood were hard for me. I was so overwhelmed, angry, and lonely that it caused chaos in every other part of my life. My suffering was so great that I finally had to face the problem head-on and do something about it, or risk losing everything. My marriage, my family, my business. In fact, it got so bad that I began to wonder whether my life was even worth living. End quote. I don't usually use a man's own words to describe him, but I felt in this case Kurt's own testimony would hit harder than any I could write, especially for men who know those feelings well. And given that I know how many fathers listen to this podcast, I thought you all might learn something valuable from his story, his message, his teachings, and his remarkably positive energy that I think is the greatest testament to a job well done. In our conversation, Kurt and I discussed his moving transformation story from shitty father to men's leader, the notion of life artistry, the many blessings of failure, how fitness is a spiritual journey and the death spiral of obesity, and finally, the balance between men bonding through action versus through dialogue. Kurt and I have a lot in common. Years before I discovered the manosphere, the red pill, or anything like that, I was doing men's work and using it to successfully change my life. I wasn't a shitty father, but let's just say I wasn't the man that I am now. So Kurt and I are both examples of the power of inner work and the promise that it holds for men courageous enough to discover this special kind of strength. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please remember to give us a rating on Spotify and a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which you can do in the Apple Podcasts app. If you write a review, take a screenshot of it, and email it to info at renofmen.com, or tag me on Instagram, and I'll give you a shout-out. Also, please share this podcast with your friends. With your help, the Renaissance can reach more men and women. Also, speaking of podcasts, the Renaissance of Men podcast is now part of Podcasting 2.0. What is Podcasting 2.0? It's an effort to get away from the tech giants and build decentralized, censorship-proof podcasting platforms. So, if you're trying to move away from Spotify and Apple, you can also listen to The Renaissance of Men on dozens of other platforms. Visit podcasterindex.com or hit the link in the description and connect with us on dozens of other apps if you want to help starve the big tech beast. I recommend the full featured Fountain FM app, where you can add Bitcoin to a Lightning wallet and stream sats while you listen. It's a bit like a live stream tip jar. I put a ton of work into these podcasts, so every little bit of appreciation counts thank you to all who've contributed. Finally, this is the last Renaissance of Men episode sponsored by Deepwell Designs, makers of fine silver and stone jewelry, handcrafted in the western United States. We've had a great run together. Keep listening for information about an even bigger limited time discount code to celebrate the end of our successful partnership. Oh, and one last quick note, apparently I forgot to turn my mic on for the podcast. I hope it won't be too much of a distraction. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the author, podcaster, husband, and worthy father, Kurt Storing. Kurt Storing, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you
2: so much, Will, for having me on. This is exciting.
0: Instagram is a wonderful place. Uh, to make connections and to discover what men are really about. And uh, I remember you first messaged me, I think it was maybe a month or two ago, and uh, we just started a conversation in the DMs about religion and, and and men's work and fatherhood. And and I've been following your stuff since then. I was like, you know what? I know a lot of really great fathers, and I feel like the men who listen to me and the men in my circle would love to hear some of the things that you have to say. So I'm excited for this this conversation today because you're so passionate about what you do, and it really um, it really comes across in a great way.
2: Mm, Yeah, thank you for saying that. And um, I feel as though it's a needed passion in my own life, to be honest, because I suffered so much. And that's like my entire uh, origin story, if you will, is just how can I suffer less? And as I figured out how to suffer less, I went, Oh, I wonder if anyone else struggles with the same things I did. And it's interesting that, you know, we, we got caught up very briefly on a whole bunch of different things. Like you said, men's work, religion, spirituality, and that's what I love about the idea of doing this conversation with you. Like I have no idea where it's going to go, yeah. and I'm excited to just engage in that real intellectual pursuit of whatever comes up, and just share what's real.
0: I completely, I completely agree, and and I know the importance of the work. Uh, I know the importance of the work that you do, and I know the the because imp- I've done a lot of that work myself. Obviously, not with fathers quite quite so much because myself I'm not a father and and haven't worked with fathers quite so directly. But you know, I am a I am a product of what we might call men's men's inner work. You know that has that has transformed my life. It, it, it it's, I don't want to say it saved me. That's probably too strong a way of putting it. It helped me save myself. Let's put it that way. And, mm. so, um, and so I, I'm, a, I'm a deep believer in what you do. And, and I also know there are some things that we've, like, we've gone to a bit of dialogue a, a bit about. So I'm excited about that, that possibility, too, because I think in, in, the, um, in the discussion of different viewpoints, you can always find a synthesis if you're committed enough to it. And I think that's the really important thing that we get to do specifically in dialogue on podcasts, which I think is one reason why they're so popular. Yes.
2: Yeah. One of the things that one of the men in my men's groups brought up this morning was a desire to trust and understand in relationship. And I think that's very important to especially understand, to listen until you're fully understood or the other person is fully understood. And in that, there's typically a point where you go, oh, that makes sense. It makes perfect sense why you feel that way, why you think that way. Of course, that is real for you. And there's no need to get you know, hyperbolic and dug in so much that you can't even at least allow the other person some space for their beliefs or whatever, and then simply be a good model for that which you think is true, at least in my experience, and, you know, let other people come along where they feel comfortable doing that.
0: Yeah. The, the, you get to a place of, have you ever read the, the book Stranger in a Strange Land, or ever heard the word grok? Yes. You know that? Of course. Yes. Yeah. And that this, the word grok, which is like this deep in bodily comprehension that transcends mere reason and mere head knowledge. That's just like, I grok it. It's a brilliant word. Heinlein was a wonderful writer. I don't hear that word being used enough. And I think it needs to be brought back because I think that's what we're all as men really struggling to do, not just with each other, but with this whole masculinity thing is really, really grok it to the extent that we can as limited beings trying to contain something, masculinity is is so much larger than us. It's one of the two fundamental forces of the universe. You could look at it that way, the actual physical universe and the spiritual universe in a way as well. So how can we possibly grasp all of it being limited beings? We can't, we wanna grok it as deeply as we can in our own particular, let's say, instantiations to use too technical of a word.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I agree on that and the difficulty in that Is in my experience at least, how can we be so aware and mindful of what's happening around us or even inside of us to allow for that level of comprehension? Because I think it's one thing to sort of go, oh, yeah, 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 I get it. I, I understand. But like, do you truly? And I love the use of the word grok because it is, it's more than just the intellectual understanding, it's this deep gut instinct of like, oh, now i grok it I and man it if yes. we can just like if we can just like get that level of understanding with one another not only does that lead to like way better conversations Because imagine if the point was to grok someone else, to grok them fully in whatever they're thinking, rather than to wait until they stop speaking and then get your point across because you're actually right. And you may be right. That's fine. But I think it stops us from fully understanding uh, the other person in other people. I found, at least in men's group and men's work, which you're familiar with, I see myself in others way more than I thought I would. Even if I've never been in a situation like that, there's one little thing that's like, oh, okay, now I understand myself better. And I think even in that, even a selfish pursuit of understanding yourself better, perhaps that's motivation enough for men to to go there and to look for that deeper understanding when it can be so easy just to fix, if you will.
0: mm mm-hmm. that's, and that's the beautiful part about men's work is, is- – I think men they suffer in isolation. Every humans do. It, it's not just it's not just human. It's not just men. It's women as well. But let's focus specifically on men because that's our area of expertise. Men have this thing of suffering in isolation. No one can possibly understand my problems. It's you know it's, I'm alone in this for whatever reason. Whether it's some mistaken belief about the nature of the problem or some sort of you know some sort of persecution complex for whatever reason, men just sit there with their head in their hands. No one could possibly understand. And when men actually get into groups and start and, and start opening up about what their what their problems or challenges their hurts are you can ask a men pick men in like a circle of like six guys and say how many of you relate to this any man with almost any problem will raise, will speak it and like two or three other guys in the group are like yeah that sounds like me and it's just the first time i remember the first time that i saw that it was, it was profound to be like, wait a minute, I'm not alone, and in, inside my own problems, they're they're shared, and and that had a that had a, a multiple multiple different effects at the same time. One is it took the pressure off me, and it was a real introduction to the human condition and the male condition in this powerful way that created these cascading positive ripples in my life. So yeah, to your point exactly. Like when men open up and share what's going on with them, we see we're far less isolated than than we think we are.
2: Yeah, and this brings to mind a very serious sort of vulnerable sharing that I think is uh, not common in our society that I've experienced in men's group. And, you know, I won't go too deeply into that because I'm, I'm not sure where you want to take the conversation yet, but go, go, one I thing that I did, it, come I want on. to
0: take it right there. It's funny you mentioned that. That's where I wanted to go. <laughs> no, okay, please. Oh, oh, oh. Go yeah, one it. thing
2: that did come up was in one of my men's groups for fathers. Uh, you know, we do so-called shadow work, if you will, things that sure. you don't typically talk about, and they can help significantly open you up or shine a light into the the pain so that you can then work on it. And right. one of the prompts yes. I introduced was something I hate about being a father. And man, you're not allowed to say that. Like, if you say anything about how much burden there is as a father, right, how much yeah. responsibility there is as a father, and this goes for for men in general, I think, but fathers especially, you're not allowed to go there. And so what I witnessed in that with men speaking their truth and sharing this, oh, I have felt that too. And I didn't know I was allowed to say that.
1: Yeah, for and sure. And
2: it's so funny because you think it. And so why is it so hard to say? What mm-hmm. is it about that understanding that you that you grok again, deep in yourself, like sometimes? I just like, I hate everything about the responsibility. I just want to leave. I just want to go and do my own thing. I don't want to have to work. I don't want to have these kids screaming at me. And it's so hard. And what I saw in that moment was the shared collective burden of fathers around the world. And I just had a group of, you know, six, like you said, six, seven guys, I think it was. And to see each one of them share what they didn't love, what was hard for them was unbelievably empowering for me to go like, oh man, am I ever not alone? Because these guys are sharing really deep, really dark in some cases, truths for them. And I see them not only not crumbling under the burden, but thriving despite the burden. And I think there's something magical about that, holding a burden, which is crushing to almost anyone else, and then being able to hold that every single day without even the option of dropping mm-hmm. the weight. That mm-hmm. is strong. That is strength, in my opinion. And that's why I'm partial to fatherhood being one of the best ways to find your masculinity if you haven't found it yet, or one of the best ways to initiate yourself into manhood, really, because you can't put that burden down. Even if you leave, you will know you are still carrying that burden. You can never get away from that. So I found that simply in the sharing of vulnerability in my men's group with the other dads in one of the darkest areas. And I think that's very powerful as men to go to, into, you know, the, the darkest and deepest secrets that we have and realize that, They're not so shameful. They're not so alone. And we still have a responsibility to act reasonably with those Mm. and not fall into a pit of degeneracy, basically.
0: This is uh this is for all the men for all the men listening. I'm sure there are a bunch of fathers who are like nodding to themselves. I feel, okay, that sounds yeah, that sounds like me. Um, but you know, this is this is I, to hear you say that is is music to my ears. It's this real magician work for me. You know, coming from the King Warden magician lover kind of archetypal tradition because. I have observed in my own work and in so much men's work that men will carry their burdens and they will judge themselves for having for having these burdens like, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. You know, I'm so weak for feeling this way. Whatever it is, whether it be fatherhood or whether it be trauma or shame or whatever it is, they'll judge themselves as being very weak for being the way they are, and yet they will still carry the full burden of their lives. And, and what I have to explain to them, because I had to explain it to myself, is You're not aware of your own strength because you're still carrying this and you're still you're still living like understand that this burden you've had it inside yourself for your whole life potentially and yet despite this burden that's been with you you know been inside your heart been inside your body been inside your mind you've still showed up you've still got a successful career you've still you still got a house and and all the things you've been carrying all this and you still showed up and succeeded that's a testament to your strength and your strength is locked up in the carrying of this burden and if you can if you can bring another strength to bear to let go of it you will discover a whole new strength that you didn't even know that you had you will get this massive upgrade when you actually put down this thing that you've been carrying and 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 try to live and when men hear that like you don't actually need to judge yourself for carrying these burdens like it's it's okay we all carry burdens like you've shown you've still done the work you've still done what you did to need to live and when you and now you're ready to put it down because now that you can identify it you don't need it anymore. And when men get that, you know, when I got that, it was like, "Oh, wow. I mean, I don't have to judge myself for being this way. I can embrace myself." And that's the pure transformation.
2: There is so much pain in judgment, self-judgment especially. <laughs> yeah. And the flip side of that I think is gratitude in some ways. When I can be like I think back to the father wound, if you will. You know, so many men judge their fathers and they have this pain from childhood or memories of how their dad treated them. And it's like this, yeah, this burden, this power over them that they allow their father to have. And when you can release that and find the power that you are the way you are because of these burdens, because in this case of the father wound or whatever he was, if you can find something in your life that is positive or worth living that you appreciate, then isn't everything else worth it? Isn't everything else? a spot where you can find gratitude and can't you drop that burden and reframe the guilt and the judgment. And this is huge in parenting because man, I screwed up so badly as a young father and judged myself so hard. And it was a pit from which I didn't think I could escape. And that meant that I was showing up even worse as a father. And it Mm. was simply that judgment instead of being able to let that go and reframe, which is what I do with a lot of men now, is just find reframes like this is hard, Straight up, this is hard and it's going to be burdensome, and you can do it. Like those two things can work at the same time rather than simply being, oh no, I'm not being perfect. And in my experience, at least in my own life, perfectionism was a huge burden that I really had to let go of and realize that I could be loved, accepted otherwise without being perfect. And in fact, it was holding me back from deep relationships. So I I see this so much in parenting is you have to drop the expectation and the judgment of who you were if you had screwed up, which in my case, I screwed up a lot. Mm. I had to forgive myself and then be grateful that I was in a place to transform, to do anything different rather than just be crushed by this weight and this judgment of myself looking backwards.
0: Yeah, there's 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 a life artistry to that. Like how to hold all these different things in balance. Like yes, I screwed up. Yes, I feel pain or ashamed of within myself from my action. There's the consequences of someone else, right? Who who's feeling this thing. So there's two things I'm juggling. Then there's also I need to abstract myself out of it and kind of be like, okay, and know that these feelings are coming up in me, and I have to let them have their own life. And somehow I have to juggle all these things at once to allow myself to get through it, get past it, and not destroy myself in the process and make everything worse. Like that's a that that is a skill. That's a skill. No one is born good at that. No one is born good at that. And I think one of the blessings of of the age that we live in is there are so many tools and teachers and books and sort of cultural practices around learning how to do that for both for both men and women. But since this is a podcast about men, we'll stick to talking about men. And but I, I think it's it's one of the uniquely powerful things of our age that there are you know men like yourself, books again practices to teach men how to live that way. And um, not only did they not ever really exist before; they didn't really need to. You know, I don't think I don't think the men in the 1800s or any any hundreds prior to that really asked those questions. But for whatever reason, the nature of the world today is, has given us, has both forced us and given us the opportunity to ask those questions and learn how to um, be more effective in the way that we uh, we live and are. I suppose I'd say.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, and you took the words right out of my mouth. Which is, Boom. like, why would they have needed this beforehand?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, like,
2: this is this. I'm so grateful that there is this, like, whatever you want to call it. By the way, I love the phrase "life artistry." That is exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I might, I might use that. So, thank you. Um, You're welcome. But, but yeah, like, why do we need all of this work now? Well, it mm-hmm. means, at least for me, that we've come so far from the realities of who we are meant to be, or, you know, we talk about biological realities, we talk about uh, roles in society. And it's no wonder that we have trouble finding out how we are men, how we are masculine, Mm -hmm. how we show up in the world. How do we be a good father? Because things are so perverted in so many ways. And I I just, right. And I, I just, I almost feel sadness that I can do what I do because I shouldn't need yeah. to, Right, I, I should be able to operate in a village or a community or some group of people working towards some common goal that build a container with one another. And here we all are operating alone on islands of our own and they don't have all the resources we need. And so, yes, you're right. I'm so thankful that the books and the teachings and the practices and the embodiment and all this other stuff, the coaching that it exists, And it's like, man, how can I make sure this doesn't need to be in the lives of my children? Mm -hmm. How can I be the man that gives them the tools and teaches them how to build community and teaches them that, you know, the metaverse is actually BS and you should live a real life. (laughs) And, uh, you know, like doing that in a way that is completely countercultural. that's sad. Like everything that I think is reality is now being like called into question. That's a weird, scary place to be, to be honest. And I'm sitting over here navigating, like, how do I show up? Where do I show up? What's my responsibility to show up in a way that is supportive and leader and all the rest of the things that I feel that I should be as a man and a father when everyone's telling me that like I'm kind of a bad guy for being for even being a dad. You know, like no nobody's having kids anymore. People are having dogs and cats and that's mm-hmm. like the new kid because how could i take responsibility for another person when i'm so hurt myself mm-hmm. and that's where i'm hopeful that this work can be generational that mm-hmm. is as we help men and we help fathers they help their children who then help their children live a more just reasonable life and it's weird to say reasonable because you know what is reasonable these days but like if we can just have an impact on the one man and the one family that has generational impact. And that's why I think this work, I hope, will not even be needed. I hope to like obsolete, obsolete myself. I hope to become obsolete in yeah. doing this work. Right. And and so yeah, that's I, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I, I love the, the
0: thought. I think there's a couple there's a couple different things. One is that I, I feel like in some sense religion and, and I think I, I mean lots of different lots of different religions, plural. So we'll just group them all together under religion. Has sort of um, it didn't it wasn't able to move fast enough to meet the evolving needs of of men over the past say 100 and, 150 years. It it, it uh, stayed in this very heavenly kind of way of being and um, didn't actually begin to acknowledge the ways that comfort reshaped the demands of men in society because men used to be they used to just have physical demands like we didn't sit all day we we worked with our hands that's a you know sitting all day and and knowledge work essentially is something that's evolved say the past 70 or so years since perhaps the 1950s the emergence of the corporate man and 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 whereas men used to turn to their priest their pastor their guru or whatever for 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 spiritual support That looked a particular way in terms of like, I'm working with my hands and I have these questions about spirit. But as we get more comfortable, we're able to get sink more into the nature of emotion. And I don't think, especially as emotion, feeling, intuition, I don't think religion evolved fast enough to be able to address those questions for the men that really needed it in an age where the notions of masculinity and femininity were essentially shattered you know, since the 1960s. So where where religion failed, all the traditional structures that supported men failed over the past, say, 20, 30, even 40 years, there's been this new rise of, of men like yourself, like me, that have kind of stepped into that gap to provide things that religion used to, but doesn't actually know how to do, my observation. So we're sort of serving, the, like, I know that I would love to be, you know, building barns or or whatever, like working with my hands. But I also acknowledge that every village does need someone to hold the spiritual weight of the village. You know, you need one guy for a hundred. Like one person can hold the spiritual weight of a hundred people, something like that. And and I think for men, the weight got so heavy uh, in the past sixty years that to actually glimpse the scale of the problem, to see how much spiritual weight needs to be borne by number of men. In other times, you and I might be the priests of our village or the pastors or something like that. But since since that's its own thing now, we're stepping into this void to bear up the spiritual weight of men uh, in this uniquely, we'll say, modern way. Wow.
2: Man, I love that. I love that so completely because I, uh, I... We'll be honest. I don't have the knowledge of organized religion, if you will. I I, I sure. come from a background where my my grandparents are Christian, and I was raised in a way that was had nothing to do with that at sure. all. And I'm along this journey, if you will, and you know, open to learning more. Especially, I love what you have posted on your stories recently. It's a very interesting take on modern religion or mo- a religion for the modern times, and I really appreciate yeah. that because my judgment is that it's sort of watered down. It's weak. It's, you know, turn the other cheek, if you will. And it was upon reading things like yours. It was upon reading things like John Eldridge's wild at heart, which I went like, Oh, there's maybe more here than I understand. But, um, so, uh, so I'm just, I'm I'm prefacing by saying like, I can't comment very well and I'm not a believable source to talk about religion (laughs) other than simply, you know, my questions about it. But I do agree and have thought about this and talked to my wife about it in the past. And you know, having come from the sort of new age, if you will, which I really don't like that connotation. I don't want to be part of that. It's universal.
0: Um, I say universalism, yeah. pluralism is probably closer to where you're at.
2: Yeah. So, so whatever that is, I, my wording for what you just said is like, oh, I, I feel as though, I could take up the space of the the so-called shaman. And I think yeah. it's very similar to what you're saying of the, the priest or the pastor, because you're right. There is this spiritual weight. And when we are alone with that, it's often too much. Now, that's one of the reasons I love men's work and men's groups, I should say specifically, yeah. is because men are now required to be the rock, to hold the spiritual weight, the economic weight in many ways, financial weight, uh, the family weight, all of this stuff, and their own emotional weight. And it's too much. It's and simply too much. When and the blame, and, and the blame—that oh, <laughs> blame. is, yeah, that's the dagger in the back, of course. Yeah, yeah. And and when you hold all that weight, it often is too much. Your own yeah. stuff that you need to work out is too much. And so, where do you go? Well, typically, most men go nowhere, and then they <laughs> externalize that in yeah. uh, in rage or pain or numbing or addictive behaviors. And what men's group does, and what I think the operation of a spiritual weightlifter, if you will. And I don't mean that mm-hmm. in the gym sense, but a, a lifter sure. of the spiritual weight yeah. is that we offer men the container that they typically hold for everyone else in their lives for their own stuff. Oh, and so when awesome. you go into a men's group, when you have someone like you or me doing this work, we take the the weight, we become the rock for the man who's typically the rock. So rather than having everyone else's, your family, societies, works, whatever, this weight on you, You then get to outsource that weight to 10 other rocks and no matter say you're operating at 150% capacity let's just put some numbers on it mm-hmm. and you can't deal with that because your capacity is you know technically 100% what you do when you bring that 150% to 10 men suddenly there's this 1000% capacity and mm-hmm. your 150 is just a drop in the bucket and so mm-hmm. other men as you're saying the people who lift that spiritual weight who relieve the spiritual weight i think are fundamental in allowing men to express and actually grow because under the weight of the pressure and the guilt and the blame like you say mm-hmm. i don't think it's i don't think think it's possible to grow and thrive and sort of exist fully as we're meant to exist and to embody whoever we're supposed to become. And so I think that's a very interesting point that you made that we've lost this. And then even though it might not be what we wish the world looked like, we can step into that role and we can take up that space without feeling like, man, I wish I didn't have to do this. And and that's fine. Maybe it's what we were talking about before. You can hold the space of, this sucks and this is fine. And I have a responsibility to do this. So I, I, I'm not sure where to go from there, but I I do love what you're saying. And I appreciate the sense of relieving that spiritual waste so men can thrive.
0: Yeah. And that's what we do for each other. I mean, that's what a, what a good therapist, a good therapist does is uh, this is, this is what I think is meant by sort of holding space. It's like, as a man, uh, I think I would say that my responsibility is to sort of be in some level of command over my environment to some appropriate degree. Like, obviously I'm not gonna walk into a restaurant and be like, okay, everybody, I'm in charge. Like, I don't need to do that, right? But like, to some extent, I feel it's my, it perhaps is some sort of like genetic, biological, intuitive responsibility to sort of be aware in my surroundings to keep myself and those who I'm with safe. That's sort of a basic man job. And I think we're always doing that somewhere in our minds. I think that's just probably something that's running sub -sub sub-process. That takes up energy. So when you walk into a men's group and and or a therapist's office, let's start with the therapist, and the therapist is the one who you acknowledge is in charge of this room. You can put that weight down, and you can rather than being so externally focused, you can go into yourself and focus on what's going inside your head and your heart and, and your body. In a in a men's group, that that is it's even stronger, especially in a facilitated men's group that's led by one man who's sort of part of the discussion, but not really. Who's like, I'm, look, I'm driving the bus. You know, I love doing this work. This is some of my favorite stuff to do. It's some of the stuff I've benefited the most from is the men have the ability of knowing that that guy over there is in charge and we can all just deal with our stuff together. And to be able for, to have men lift each other's spiritual weight up just enough and, and to point on like what the real pain point is, like something carrying this burden, it's digging into my back and the men can lift a little bit. And this is the part that's actually digging into my back. And then, you know, you're not going to solve it all in one session potentially, but then you put it back on and over time it gets lighter. That's so, you, and men need someone to be in charge in that moment to do it. You can't do it yourself. This is the function of a shaman. I mean, you know, I've, I've worked with ayahuasca many times. And the reason One of the reasons the shaman is there is so that someone is driving the bus. It's not just a whole bunch of people drinking and like lying there and like going through their process alone. There'd be total chaos. Someone's got to be driving the bus and, you know, some men will go into the forest and take a bunch of mushrooms or whatever. And it's like, I would never do that. Like, at least I want a sober babysitter. I want to know that someone's driving the bus. And I I think men are afraid to ask for that. I don't know that they know that they need it.
2: Oh, yeah, that's an interesting point. And I have also uh, experienced journeys with ayahuasca and I am so grateful that there is that shaman, that he can, that he can be there. Because like you, when I hear people going like, Oh yeah, we just had a nice weekend with friends, went and did some mushrooms. I'm like, bro, no. Like, how could you do that? I need Don't to be held in that space yes. because like, I, I know how much will come up. That's yes. too much for me, like, way <laughs> too much for me. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I love the sort of analogy of the weight lifting. And as you stay in this space, the weight gets lighter and you are also Uh, interestingly, as you sit in the men's groups or men's circles, whatever you want to call them, it's almost as though the men start building your scaffolding around you so that you're better able to hold that weight by yourself. And so there's this double edge benefit of both having someone lift the weight, but also you become a stronger, more well-armored, more, more well-resourced human being who can deal with that. And also then drop that, which is troubling and burdensome, but actually like doesn't matter. And being able to, I think discernment is a huge thing that I would love to see more of in men to realize what takes precedent, what is important here. Do I need to be stressing about this or can I drop it? And that's what I found, at least in men's group, is I have sort of a North Star with who I wanna be, how -hmm. I wanna show up. And this is me as a participant rather than a leader, and in some cases, a leader. But when I go to group, I know I'm going to be called to show up as I say I want to show up. And so if I start straying from my, you know, North Star, if you will, then I'm going to be called out. It's very Mm -hmm. easy then for me to, you know, if I miss a meeting or two, which I would never do, but if I do, and I've seen this in other men who miss meetings, suddenly they're 30 degrees off course instead of three degrees off course, and you continue to, to get a sort of a wayfinder by showing up, and then you just get to be built up by these other men and realize... You know, you don't even necessarily need to be burdened by all of this. There's so many different angles to take in men's group and men's work. And um, I think it sort of all comes back to being able to perhaps just live your life better and to, mm-hmm. to walk through life without so much pain and suffering and aloneness. Because, I mean, people use the, it's a bit of a tangent now, I suppose, but people use the lone wolf mentality all the time, right? right. And like, what do lone wolves actually do? Well, they, they die, or yes. they suffer, or they go back to the pack they left. There's right. no like you know natural lone wolf who's just some like alpha taking down moose by himself. This doesn't exist.
0: It's like right? a an oxymoron.
2: moron, right? Yeah, and I, and I say this to dads too. Like lone wolves also don't raise cubs. You know, so you need if you think lone wolves Ooh. are cool, like right? <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah, no, it's it's just like no, you need a group of men. You can't do this alone, and there's no shame in that because it's it's actually not cool to be a lone wolf. Like, unless you want to be weak and die, I guess, but like, Mm -hmm. nobody wants to do that, especially as a father. And so get men around you. And one of the things that, uh, you brought up as well, I'm just, just now remembering where I wanted to go with this, um, was it's hard for men to go there. It's hard for men to, you know, be called and ask for the help and to say what's real for them. And one of the things that I like most is, um, there's a man on my podcast. I'm, I'm blanking on the name now, but he he suggested that oh, it's David Stegman. He said almost every man wishes to go deep, but nobody ever gets the invitation. And so I right. think that we, as those people who can hold the space, should be inviting more men into that. So whether it's emotion, whether it's uh, purpose, whether it's whatever these things that the man is deficient in, can we say, hey, man, like how are you really doing? What is really happening in your life and not taking fine for an answer and not being overwhelming, not being pushy, not commanding the situation, like you said, but offering the space, because I have heard of so many men who are like, oh my goodness, thank you for asking. And then just blah. And yeah. so I think that is you know, incumbent on us as people in the space, having done some of this work is can we invite men to do it with us?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the invitation, the invitation is so powerful. And most men don't ever, they don't ever get it. There's no space in their lives for them. Like men will talk about how, you know, they loo- begin losing friends, for example, once they get married. Once they get married and have kids, they stop going to the, the bowling nights or they stop seeing their friends or they do all these different things that uh, they stop doing all these different things that really supported them. And they, they just watch their friendships wither, and they just kind of, they lose that. And so in the face of losing the basic levels of connection, like the notion of there being an invitation to actually go deep. I mean, where does that even fit in? And yet that's what men really need is, is, you know, they would get that from their close friends. Like, you know, uh, Tommy and I have known each other for 10 years and I just know that we'll spend 20 minutes together and then I can just tell them what's really going on with me because we have 10 years of history. And then suddenly you're not friends with Tommy anymore because, because life happens. And then you lose not just the, the connection, but you lose the opportunity to talk about what's actually going on with you. And I don't know that men know that that's what they're, that's what they're losing. Um, and, and I know that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of criticism coming from some sides of the men movement that like, oh, men shouldn't be sitting around and talking like women. It's like, well, there, there is, there is more to do than simply sitting around and talking, but there is also that to do very much so. And so yes, men, men experience and bond by doing, but we don't necessarily have time to have men you know, building relationships over five or 10 years beginning when they're teenagers or something like that. Like we have to get to the root of the problem quickly and we can't spend, you know, forever in a duck blind, you know, getting to know each other over 15 summers, you know? And yeah, and so we're totally. in this really unique position where we look, we have to learn to open up and talk about these things now because five years from now, who knows where we're going to be? Like it's going to be important for us to be stronger as men to lift these emotional weights with each other to lift the weight of our society, one might even say.
2: Yeah. And that brings to mind this balance that we were talking about on Instagram. And I'd love to sort of get more of your thoughts on that. Because when I hear, you know, some men in the movement, if you will, and I, I don't even like thinking about this online portion of men's work as like a, sure. a genuine real movement because it's online, things aren't real. Uh, you know, I I don't think that we should be judging our, our masculinity based on that necessarily. But when I hear... You know, It's like women to talk and perhaps women talk, but does that preclude men from also doing that? And the thing that you and I were talking about before was this sort of balance and the power and the strength of balance, at least I'll just talk personally in my life, was I was completely emotionally inept, didn't even know there were such things. I was closed off. Uh, Angry was the only thing, much like most men that I meet. And um, I had to learn how to go to that.
0: Literally cannot imagine that. Please continue, but I cannot imagine you like that, which is <laughs> like,
2: awesome. I, 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 oh, oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, actually, you know what's funny? You might not have been able to imagine me like that before because it was directed towards only those people closest to me, and that's why it was so so damaging. It's because really nice I guy thing. totally, absolutely nice guy thing. I would treat myself so poorly. I like hated myself because I couldn't live up to my expectations. And so because I saw my wife and children as extensions of myself in some way, I treated them the same way I treated Mm, myself, which was absolutely toxic. And I've done a lot of recovery to get back from that point. But in saying that, I went from the stoic sort of hard rock to being open, to having an open heart and really enjoying that and being in the the so-called flow state for a little while. Mm -hmm. And... On the other side of that, so so my judgment is, let me just finish with this. The judgment is the men who say it's all about stoicism and hunting and getting stuff done and working hard and being the alpha. Be you better. guys miss, yeah, exactly. You're like, yes, and you miss an entire human experience, half, which is the emotional body. And I'm not saying yeah. you have to live there all the time, which is what we talked about, because on the other side, you get the conscious flow, bro who's like, Oh, I'm just like in my feminine right now. And I'm feeling really like relaxed and flowy. And it's like, okay, bro. But like, when will you get down with your feet on the ground and do some real work? When will you put that away and start making something of yourself, getting purpose, doing things, building things with your hands or otherwise, because in my experience in my own life, I operate as a sort of more solid grounded man when I am in the center and can choose and again discernment when a situation requires me to be in my emotional body when it requires me to put my head down and just get stuff done right. and i can do those now but it required me going deep into each side of those and i think each side each extreme that is again way easier to market on instagram it's way easier to be like this is the answer and my message is like i wonder how i can market balance because that's the most boring thing i can possibly right. think about saying like It adds just balance, but that's been my, my truth. And so I'd love to sort of throw back into your court and see where you're at in terms of being an emotion versus, I think you said through the emotional stage. I'd love to just like, you know, throw that back at you and see what comes up.
0: Yeah, you know, I was listening to your your recent podcast with uh, Lael, I think Lale Stone, is that her last name? Yeah, yeah. and and I was thinking, uh, I was listening to you tell a bit of your story during that podcast. Excellent podcast, by the way. Um, and I'll link Thank it. You. I'll link it in the show notes. And I was I was listening to the way that you describe uh, yourself, and I was considering that in light of in light of your work, and I realized, like, well, I've always been, I, I want to say, like an emotionally fluent man. Let's put it that way. Um, Not always in control of my emotions, but emotions, emotions, language, spirit has always been where I've kind of been oriented towards. And so the notion of of men, uh, I understand conceptually that some men cannot be in touch with their emotions. Like I completely get that. That was not my experience. Um, And so it's not something that I can necessarily relate to. I understand it from doing enough men's work. I've seen it. I've facilitated it. But it's not something that I can intuitively relate to. So for me, I had to go, uh, and of course, I had my own work to do. So I went deep. So I was naturally attracted to that men's inner workspace. And I went deep into it and did all the practices and did all the stuff and got to the place that that's, that's a parallel to what you described, where it's like, OK, now I've done all the practices. I know all the lingo. I, I, I can I can I can I can go as deep as you want me to go. And at some point I have to zip all this up and I have to go forward into the world and begin and begin doing and what I encountered in this this subject that we're talking about right now, it comes up all the time. In fact, I'm in this huge, long email chain with a guy about this right now, about the need to achieve this balance. And so what I with them, what I experienced was when I started talking to the men that I knew, and we'll call it this men's inner work world, they were very resistant to the notion of leaving. They were very no, resistant to the notion that their work was they thought it was the end all be all. Like, what do you mean, men? This is all there is. We've cracked the code. It's Like, well, no, you haven't. There's this whole other side to the men's movement that's talking about its own thing that has its own limitations, but you must journey beyond the, the boundaries of your homeland and journey into that other world. That world isn't the end of it either. You know, whichever it is, whether you start on the be better side, the inner work side, the, the, we'll just call them those two sides. You have to master your homeland, then go into the other other land master that. And then you find the balance that works for you, (laughs) you know, so, so the natural balance that, you know, Kurt may achieve and who he's going to be is different from the balance that will, that will may achieve. And so it's, it's this process of self-discovery and self-creation that I think is so important that, that, um, that I think brings men to life when I explain to them. Like you study, read all the different books, explore the different practices to whatever you have the time, and you get to craft the version of masculinity that that brings you to life and refine it into the man that you want to be, rather than saying I'm going to follow this practice or this way of being or that way of being. You have to fuse both together. So I agree with you in the balance, as long as the balance is personalized for who the man is and, and who he wants to be and what he needs to be.
2: Yeah, that is so refreshing honestly to get the personal into it and yeah. to realize that you can pick and choose what what works in a sense but that it has to actually be balanced in what's real for you because I look sometimes and I go oh man like I'm not my men's groups aren't showing up in the way that I hear other men are doing and is that bad? Does that make me less masculine? Do I care? Like what, what is actually real for me right now? Right. And it's again, going back for going back to the sense of like, Oh, can I even notice what's real for me? And, and then act anyway, because I, I know there's a lot of guys who feel all this and then they just get stuck. And I, I think maybe what we're talking about is the ability to feel all this and then do anyway. And that's yes. maybe how, it be, how it becomes embodied in a man's life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And you feel all this and you do anyway. And the the point of that is, is maybe I can't feel as deeply as I would like in my everyday doing of things. Like I got a message from a guy who just broke up with his girlfriend. He's like, "What do I what do I do?" And you know, I was like, "Well, you have to continue living your life. You you can't stop taking care of yourself. You gotta go to the gym. You gotta do get to fulfill your responsibilities with the pain. You gotta carry the pain and live. Don't let it let it crush you." But what men don't have and I, but I said you also have to find brothers to lean on because you can carry it if he's going through a bad breakup it sounds like he can carry it for a few days he's a young guy he can carry it for a few days maybe but there'll come a point where he begins to get weak as we all do we don't sleep right we we don't get enough to eat or we don't have enough water hungry angry lonely tired right and so mm-hmm. then you're going to break and then you're maybe going to reach out to the ex or whatever it's like no when that happens you have to find a place to be with your brothers and then you can you can feel deeply there And then you you let that out so you can release some of the burden and then you pick it back up again and you go back into the world and men need that back and forth, which is why men need each other. But men are so isolated now that they don't feel like they can, let's say, open up or really lean on their brothers in that way, um, that they just end up breaking under the weight of their own pain. And uh, that's only natural. That's why the be better world and now I'm I'm putting this all together. That's why it's so limiting. It's like I can I can be hard as rock, you know, like good. Like I can be Goggins, man. It's like no, you, you know, like Goggins is mad respect to the dude. We shouldn't all try to be like him. You know what I mean? That's the, the, you know we shouldn't all try to be you know Superman. In some ways, we need we need support, and so men's work is important for men to be able to find that. Yeah,
2: and is there the thing that's coming up is a question? Have you experienced a way that? gets men to open up and to come to this kind of stuff when it's so culturally poo-pooed, when it's so <sighs> on that yeah. side of things poo-pooed. Um, what sort of things have you seen in your work that have sort of invited men to actually do that? Because it's hard, man.
0: There, in my experience, though, there are only two reasons why people change. One is because they they are experiencing pain, like active pain. They don't really know how to do anything else with it, which usually means, needs to manifest in some sort of crisis or because they want something aspirationally so bad that they're willing to risk anything to have it. It's either or. Those are the two things that motivate men to change. For myself, I've always been super motivated to grow. I don't know why. It's literally a gift from God. And I've been saying this for many years. I don't know why I've always been hyper motivated to find out the truth, to grow, to change, to evolve. And it's never had to get to a crisis point for me. I've been in much men's work where I've seen guys, they're on their third marriage, they're alcoholic, they're successful in their careers, but they're on the verge of losing everything and they just can't do it again. And they throw themselves into men's work because they're, they're, they've exhausted everything else. And so what does it take to get men there? They either have to want something bad enough to risk it, or they have to be on, on the verge of losing everything. And that seems to be universal, the two universal reasons why, men, why anyone would change. Um, if there's a third one, I'd love to hear it.
2: Yeah no I think you hit the nail on the head and that's been my experience too and it's my lived experience. Yeah. You know, my my pain was so great that at some point I thought my children and my wife would be better off without me. Oof. And it wasn't that I would run away because imagine that burden. I couldn't right. carry that. And so the yeah. option was going to be well you need to be dead for that to be the case. <sighs> yeah. And that was the pain. And like you i don't know what it is i've just always had this optimism and this hope in order Mm -hmm. to continue to grow continue to get better and there was something that along the way said well just try one last time just keep going like don't don't do this yet just give it one final chance And it was the pain that motivated me. It was the pain of how I felt every single moment of the day. It was the pain of seeing the damage I was doing to my wife and children, Mm. seeing that they were growing up scared of me. And then they were starting to yell. They were starting to express anger in ways that were hurtful and harmful. And so, yeah, it was like absolutely the pain for me. And on the same time, it was somewhat aspirational, and that for me was business wise. I was seeing all these business guys who made so much money, and I wanted to be there. And so I was willing to like do anything. And that's how I actually found meditation was through business,
0: mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm, just so
2: mm-hmm. happened to be a, a vital point in my my journey in like you know healing whatever was yeah it was, it was aspirational as well. And I think part of what I I'm asking and what I'm getting at is like, have you experienced? Being open in your journey as being an invitation for men to go deeper, because that's what I'm seeing. I'm just like, hey guys, here's what's real for me. Mm -hmm. Can you relate? And also, if you want to relate, like, here's some of the stuff I did. And I've seen that be really important, which is one of the reasons I'm so pumped to meet men like you who have podcasts like this, where it's like, here's what's real. Can you relate? Here's what we did. Like, Mm -hmm. does any of that resonate? Can you pick that up? Can you do your own work around that? And so, yeah, I, I'm not sure what the the closing to this is, but I love the chance to sort of just be vulnerable and share what's real because it's hopeful. It gives men an opportunity to see that they're not going to have to make, you know, consider even the decision that I was considering, which is like, it's too much. Yeah. Don't get there. Like the Mack truck doesn't have to get, Mack truck doesn't have to kill you. It can just, you know, hurt, I suppose, but you might want to see it coming before you make sort of rash decisions and, and change before that. So um, anyway, man, thank you for for going there.
0: Oh, thank you. I mean, I, I was just having a conversation with a good friend and mentor yesterday where he was saying, you know, some, it just takes the first man, just the first man just has to stand up. You know, if you put it out to a room of a hundred guys and, and uh, and you know, this, the, this mentor, Glenn, he was saying, you know, he, he would say, here's what's true about me, X, right? Just from a leadership position, here's what's true, but here's what I don't want you to know about me. And then just to say that, it's like, okay, now who else has something to share? And that f- someone will stand up eventually a man will stand up. And then whatever that man says, you single them out. That took courage because it did take courage. And sometimes it just takes one man, the courage to open up and really share what's going on with him that just creates this torrent of men that all want to do the same. But I, th- I think as men, and I think this is a good thing, we're, we're very motivated by, you know, by, I'm motivated by modeling. Let me put it that way. I'm a very much a show me learner. You know, tell me, let me figure it out for myself or show me. I think those are the three learning styles. I'm very much a show me style of learner. And I think when it comes Mm -hmm. to men modeling behavior, it helps for them to see it. And so to your point, like, yeah, the first guy to actually stand up and say, this is what I don't want you to know about me. And the way that you say that and the way that you carry that models like, yeah, it's actually okay to to be this way in this circle, in this circle of trust, no cameras, there's no recording. It's just a bunch of guys working through their lives together. And that's in that space of say uh, security. It's incredibly powerful, but again, men don't have that space. Where did you find it? Like, like, so you got into meditation. By the way, this podcast is what happens when you have two listeners talking to each other instead of me, (laughs) me asking questions like a proper host. So, okay. So you got into meditation in the workplace. How did that, um, how did that translate into, into your own growth journey? So you're being, you're being, um, Let's say less than positive to your to your wife and, and kids. I don't. <laughs> That's I don't the most to,
2: charitable I, way I could say
0: it. I don't want to care. I'll let you characterize it for yourself. So I just want to step into that. So <laughs> you know, and, and but you're and you're and you're trying to be hyper motivated to be financially and professionally successful while carrying this emotional burden. You discover meditation in the workplace, and then how did it evolve from there? From you, like I guess, tr- turning your life around, turning your relationships around, turning your fatherhood around, and now to getting where you are today.
2: Yeah. So this was. I feel looking back that I pursued healing, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. as a full-time job, and I am fortunate to have these Amen. so-called um, yeah <laughs> the the entrepreneurials uh, or sorry entrepreneurs um, I don't know just the ability to have that space, you know it, it's almost um, a gift well, it is a gift to be able to spend yeah. the time that I want, how I want it. so I was struggling. I had two kids. My second was just born. I was following this guy who was doing a business that I liked. And I was like, oh, I'll just see what you, you know, show me, show me how you do it. Sort of yeah. like what you were saying. And he just said in passing, I've been meditating with this app and uh, it's made me more productive. I was like, bingo, great. I'm going to start meditating. I want to be more productive. I want to get some stuff done. I want to make money. And so I did. I used the Headspace app for like 10 days or something. Headspace And is great. Uh, yeah, it, it was fantastic. I used it for the first couple of years of meditating and. I remember it was about 10 days in. I think it's like the first 10 day challenge. And I leave my office and I come out in the living room. My son comes around the corner and he just does something that otherwise would have just sent me into a tirade. Like, how oh, could you? How dare you? All this kind of anger. Like, I, yeah, to, to the charitable explanation, like you said, it was just, I was mean. I was scary and mean and hurtful and angry and childish and petulant and blamey and uh, like always and i would always repair after you know deep shame spirals but uh, it was very frustrating i imagine Still. for my wife and kids right um, and so i anyway he came around the corner and i didn't Scream at him. And I was like, oh, oh, my goodness, something happened. What is this? Why did I do this? And I went, oh, it's because I've been meditating. I can see what I was going to do before I did it. I found the gap between the stimulus and the response, as the mm. saying goes, where I was able to choose my reaction. And so that was the moment where I went all in. It's like, wow, there's something here. So what does it mean? What does consciousness look like? What does being in the body look like? What does noticing my feelings look like? What does any of this mean? And so I read a lot I read so much I meditated I did journaling a lot of journaling a lot of different styles of journaling I uh, mm-hmm. got into breath work and sort of moving the feelings through the body and um you know started, working out a lot more because of how impactful that was for my own mental health. Yep. And it was just like all of these cascading things over the course of about eight years that, uh, eventually led me to, you know, doing an ayahuasca retreat, uh, a journey like that and doing much more deep men's work, shadow work, um, looking at places that I didn't want to look at grieving my own father's death because he died just mm. before the second child was born. Mm. And I just got really deep into why, like that was my, that was my uh, question that was leading all of this. Why am I doing this? Why do every time I say I'm going to be better, I fall off the wagon again? And what I found was there were sort of deep wounds that were not healed, if you want to use the term, um, sure. and they kept being brushed up against. So I would be triggered by something different by my children or wife, but it would hit the same nerve. And so asking myself why over and over and over again and learning how to sit with what's coming up through meditation, mindfulness, journaling, breath work, whatever it may be, eventually men's work, that sort of allowed me to go to what I feel at at least right now is sort of my deepest core wounds, which relate to, you know, my father leaving my mother, uh, my mother Mm. going through probably Great Depression, getting very ill through my childhood, feeling abandoned, basically. And then wondering, like, how am I supposed to help this kid when nobody helped me? So my son comes into my office looking for my help, looking for my emotional support. And I'm just like, dude, I'm just going to get angry at you because this is triggering because nobody was there for me when I needed it. How am I supposed to show up for you? And so, you know... Long story short, eight years of this type of work led me to needing to share it because I did get through the other side. Yeah. And to me, that looked like, maybe I'll just go there. I mean, I don't know how much time you have
0: or want to, want to have. I have all the time, time in the world.
2: Beautiful. Okay, so let's go there. Um, my specific journey through the worst of it and into a place that I feel now like a mature initiated man and leader is that I finally admitted and in the company of other men, this was specifically with my grandfather who I meet biweekly for lunch and, uh, which is a gift in itself. And I said to him, I was, I was blaming my parents as we, as we do. And I said afterwards, after this came out, this blame, I said, all I feel is like I'm a three-year-old boy who just wants mom and dad to be there for him. And I was like, ooh, man, that is really painful. And I just started crying. And he was able to hold that space for me and just simply put a hand on me, be there. I let it out. And that was a freeing moment because I started the grief process And this is simply my experience. I don't know if everyone has to go through it, but I let go of the sort of base childhood wound that was keeping me from feeling like an adult man. And I let it go. And what that meant for me is I had to grieve. So my grief process was, i realize i will never get that which i long for deepest which is to be three which is to have a mother and a father who could actually be there for him i will never get that i'm a 30 year old man it's never going to happen so let that go and then let the feeling of that sadness course through you Mm. sit with that let it rack you to your core and cleanse all of the weight of this pain and so i did that and from that moment on i felt free I felt Mm -hmm. this weight lift. And then afterwards I was able, or I found men's work through a number of contacts and men's group. And being in that, I was able to then develop a deeper sense of self. If I'm not a three-year-old, then who am I? That was the question I struggled with for years after having this grief process. And it was simply by continuing to practice Being with other men, meditating, feeling my body, like, you know, talking to my wife a lot about what this journey was like for me and having her input because she's brilliant and she's trusting and she's loving. And so it was all of these things coming back. And by having the tools, I think I was able to navigate that in a way that has been very fruitful. And so I like to tell the guys that I work with, like, I have gone from an angry, scared, sad, lonely little boy to a courageous confident leader of a man and a father. And these things feel real. And I often feel, I I feel that that there's possible judgment of men who listen to this story and go, how could you say you're healed? Like nobody ever gets healed. And I feel like, no, that's probably true. I will always have things to work on if I want to, you know, unzip as you say, and let all that back out. But man, if you could be in my head eight years ago versus today, 180 degrees. Like literally nothing is the same. And I am now done that process. I would love to see what the future brings. If I am blessed with old age, what does being a mature man look like? What does being an elder look like? And I wake up every day, not hating my life. I wake up happy. I wake up grateful. I wake up excited to live my purpose and love my wife and love my children. And all that to say, like, man, it is possible. And Mm -hmm. I I just so happened to be so dedicated to it for some reason. I think it was, like you said, the pain that I actually got there. And I like telling the story because I think it brings hope coming from a place about midway through the journey where I kept screwing up. I was living in Thailand at the time with my family. We traveled for two years. And I just remember pounding this like cold pavement floor because it's all concrete floor in Thailand Mm -hmm. and thinking like, you'll never get better. You moron. You're an idiot. I can't believe you screwed up again. Why Why is this still happening? Going from that nearly suicidal to being like living my dream life in many respects and mm-hmm. still being ambitious, still being adventurous, still longing for more in some senses, but feeling so solid and so complete and so authentic. And that's led me to today where I just felt I can't hold this stuff in anymore. It's helped me. It's literally changed my life Mm -hmm. and maybe it's time to share. So what does that look like? And now that is the journey I'm on. How do I hold the spiritual weight for other men? And is that something I'm willing to do? So that is now the next leg of my journey rather than how do I heal myself to stop being the worst father and husband? How do I actively become a father and a husband by building up my family? What do my children need from me? What questions do they need me to answer in their lives? As John Eldridge again would say in his Wild at Heart book, Um, what does my wife need from me actively rather than just me cleaning up my own messes? And what do the men out there need from me as a leader in men's group and in a men's community? And so I'm finding now that my journey has gone from sort of self-exploration and internal work much more to the external world and how I show up and how I present and how I speak into other people's lives. And I think that's beautiful because I just feel ready, completely ready and so grateful for that. So, uh, yeah, that is my story, if you will.
0: That's incredible. I mean, that's, Thank you. I mean, I, I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm I feel very honored that you shared that in the way that you did, and uh, thank you, thank you for um, thank you for your willingness, you know, and your um and your courage to to share that because I, I relate to it very much a very similar story. Um, I can I, I, on Instagram I posted a picture of what I looked like. You said eight years ago, so we're talking about 2013, 2014. I was in the same place. There's a photo of me from 2012 versus you know me in 2020 when I started the Renaissance of Men. People say they don't recognize me. I was a different guy, and I was a different guy. I mean, I, obviously, I have all those memories, but so I can relate very much to the the, the notion of transformation of feeling very stuck, of you'll never get better, you know, and and the enormous amount of um, the enormous amount of uh, willpower that it takes to undergo a, a transformation like your own, uh, the enormous uh, again amount of courage. Um, uh, I, I don't like I don't like the word vulnerability because um, it has certain connotations these days, but I'll go with it anyway, because it, it does actually, in, in the right circumstances, require vulnerability to be able to open up to your grandfather like that. And, you know, so I wish my mom and dad had been there for me when I was three or four years old, like that's either his son or his daughter that you're talking about. You know, and and it's real and, and that it's it's really beautiful that you were actually able to open up to your grandfather and find the fatherly support in him that you weren't able to get as a child. And, and so I feel um, I feel very grateful to know that you that you had that somewhere in your family that triggered that process, that led to that process for you of just being able to really discover the space inside yourself and then go in and set up camp there until you had excavated as much of it to tell the story like transformations possible it's real if you don't give up you can transform your body you can also transform your your mind and heart you just have to do the you just have to do the work you know and 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 that takes a specific kind of risk and and um, you're a living example of what's possible and i also understand the need okay now that i've done the work i have to share it and so that's a that's a vital step
2: yeah. No, thank you for that man. Thank you for the validation and the affirmation. Um and it it is such a something that I'm increasingly grateful for to have an elder in my <sighs> life because where else do you find that? I have been searching myself for my podcast, for my own work, who can I use as an elder to step into my life? And thankfully, my grandfather is that for me. <clears throat> And how else can we support men? And he does this work as well in in his church to lead groups of men. And I I learn a lot from him in doing that. And I ask him, how do I become a better leader? And we have these discussions and I just see it missing elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's a tragedy because I think it was, I was talking to Nikki Wilkes, who's a man who runs initiation practices in the Pacific Northwest. And he was saying, that it's, it's a shame not only for society and for the, the children and the grandchildren who don't get to have the wisdom and the support of that man in the elder role, mm-hmm. but it's also a tragedy for that man mm-hmm. because that man leaves the workforce at 65, let's say, and he's put most of his life into being uh, identifying with the job that he had. And when he retires, rather than enjoying his freedom, he feels lost. And like, he's worth nothing because he no longer is the job that he used to identify with. Oh, yeah. And so he feels worthless and he feels that he has nothing to give mm-hmm. to society or his children or his grandchildren. And he checks out for 20 years, watches a lot of Jeopardy and eventually dies. And that's a tragedy. There's yeah. you know, one year, 10 years, 20 years of life of a man who feels lost and he should be sharing all of that with us. What can we learn from that man that he has gone through? And so I, I would love to also invite elder men to step up and, and do this work and in whatever way that looks like for them, simply Amen. holding space and sharing space with younger men. Because, man, I want more of that. And I even have one of the few relationships in my circle that has an elder contact in my grandfather. Very few other men have that. So I don't know where we find them. I don't know how we help them. But perhaps it's incumbent on us to continue to grow into that role as we age. And what does that look like? And who can we call up to be that elder role? And one final thing on that thought, as you said, um, sort of setting up camp inside. One of the things that I would like to give my children is a roadmap and tools to that camp. As I've gone through my healing journey, I've did it all alone until i found men's work i struggled i yeah. suffered I, I i'm for some reason very good at doing inner work you know and it it'll only get you so far alone right Same, but yeah. but but i'm i'm really good at it and so the thing was imagine if imagine if you're wounding your traumatic experiences your conditioning whatever the thing is that's keeping you from being authentic and living your best life imagine that it lives inside your body and there's like a, a mine and you know you you find it one day, you you trip in the hole and you're like, "Oh my goodness, there's a mine here. why This is why I'm feeling so terrible." Yeah. And then you go, "Well, like, what do I do with this mine?" And so you fashion a pickaxe. you have to go cut down the tree, you have to learn metallurgy, you have to put the the pickaxe head on, and you got to do all this work just to start mining. And then yeah. you mine and you're like, "Well, where do I start swinging?" Yeah. What do I do? And so you're doing everything along the way. You're finding the mine. You're mapping the mine. You're mining the mine. You're hauling out the ore. You're processing that afterwards. You're doing alchemy to transform the garbage into the gold. All of this is happening and it's exhausting. And for some men, it's too much. And that's why we see, you know, in, in some cases, men take their own lives because it is simply too much. Imagine now, and this is my goal for my children, if I give them nothing else, yeah. imagine that I give them The plan to the mine. Imagine if I give them my tools. Here are my pickaxes. Here are my shovels. And these things could be mindfulness practices. They could be, um, you know, affirmations, whatever they are. They won't have to go chop down trees and make pickaxes. They'll be like, oh, I got a mine. Here's the map. I know how to swing this pickaxe. I'm not going to hit myself in the toe. I have all the tools so that when they go through their necessary journey, if they choose to do so, when they come across all the things that were bad in their life or perceived to be bad, their father wound that I am clearly going to be responsible for creating, can't get away from that. At least they'll know what to do, where to go and how to fix it. And I hope that that will mean that they don't spend eight, nine, 10 years suffering and thinking that they can't make it happen. I hope it will be like, oh, I know this hurts, it really sucks, I'm kind of mad, but I have all the tools my dad taught me and I saw him go through this. That's the type of leadership and gift that I wanna give my children. And it just came to mind, as you were saying, sort of setting up camp. So um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to share that.
0: Men, if you've ever given thought to your personal style, you've probably come across the idea of accessories and jewelry, but the subject is tricky. As my friend and style coach Tanner Guzzi might say, it's best to wear pieces that have personal meaning to you rather than wearing an accessory just to wear it. But it takes time for pieces to acquire meaning. I have a ring that I've been wearing for 20 years. It's traveled around the world with me. You can't just buy that off the shelf. So how can you find a meaningful piece without needing 20 years in 30-something countries? The answer is hand craftsmanship and one-of-a-kind wearable works of art made right here in America. Which brings me to our sponsor, Deepwell Designs. If you've listened to this podcast, you've probably heard the name before. Deepwell and the proprietor Thomas William have been sponsoring the podcast for the past couple months, and we've had a remarkable run together. And now we're reaching the end. Thomas handcrafts silver and precious stone pieces to meet your specifications. He's been making them for over 20 years, having learned lapidary and silversmith from his grandfather as a boy. And the results are spectacular. His pieces sing with style, quality, and care. I know this because we met in Cancun back in December. He happened to sit down next to me at the hotel bar where I was waiting for someone. We got to talking and I noticed the quality of his silver accessories. When he told me he made them, I was immediately intrigued. On his website, you can see what I mean. He offers rings, necklaces, bracelets, cuffs, pendants, belt buckles, and more, and pieces for both men and women. He even made me a silver Christian cross necklace, which I wear now and it looks amazing. He banged it out literally in about a day. I'd say more, but rather than telling, I prefer to show you what I mean. So visit deepwelldesigns.com or head to Instagram at deepwelldesigns00 for a short time only and use the code RENOFMEN20 for a whopping 20% off any piece, including custom orders. If you don't see anything you like, just message, and I bet Thomas can make it for you. Once again, that's deepwelldesigns.com or DeepWellDesigns00 on Instagram, and use the code RENOVMEN20 for 20% off. This deeper discount code is to celebrate the end of a successful run together. And if you miss this short time sale, Thomas and DeepWell will always be friends of the Renaissance. So be sure to file their name away for Christmas, birthdays, anniversaries and any special occasions or if you're just looking for that special piece for yourself one of personal meaning that also makes you look great thanks so much and let's get back to the podcast with kurt storing that's beautiful and 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 from from my perspective you know i think uh the father wound that so many men have is because of an absent father either um physically or emotionally or even mentally it's that it's that they carry these wounds of their fathers you know and 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 it's important for men to develop the belief that my you know i made it i'm alive so my father did his job and it's important to set that floor it's a low bar in some cases but nonetheless and my father was doing the best he could which is i think any man who does this work eventually lands in that realization and gives it to his father as a gift um, but many of those men, uh, are struggling with, uh, with absent fathers, whether by divorce or, or abandonment or fathers that just weren't there f- mentally or emotionally for them or, or present for them in the ways that they needed. And, uh, nonetheless, we will, no matter if our father is there or not, we will all receive father wounds. It's, you know, that's welcome to earth. You're going to receive mm-hmm. a father when you're going to get a mother wound too. Um, but I, I think in hearing you describe this, like, yes, your, your, your children will have that, but. They'll also next to that have a memory of like, well, I saw during all of my formative years, my dad, not just trying really hard in the striving sense, but, you know, genuinely trying, like being there, being present. And however he may have, however he may have wounded me, it's just to say like them saying that about you, it's like, I know that my dad was a good and present dad. And so like, it's not about him. It's like, how can I be mad at a dad who loved me so much and made mistakes? Right, And so mm-hmm. I think in some sense, yes, give them, give them those, those tools. And I think that's very noble and honorable. And, and this is the way that we redeem the, let's say, the fall that happened in the 1960s, which I think we could probably say was necessary in some, in some spiritual sense, if no other way. But we're redeeming it and putting our children in a better place. But I think in you being the man that you are, you, you are the tool. <laughs> that sounds that doesn't sound like i wanted to but you know what i mean
2: <laughs> yeah i understand
0: yeah i mean but th- that's the thing is that is that the, the the love that you're already giving them is already making it easier i'm i'm certain of this already making making it easier for them to process whatever it is that they're going to go through relating to your fa- your your uh, let's say failures as a human being and i think that's the mm. re- that's the real gift um that that heals all the wounds or and at least makes them easier
2: man that is profound because as a father and being one who holds so much space, mm. it's very easy for me to sometimes miss the forest for the trees, if you will. Yeah. And to go, okay, what are my responsibilities? How can I help? How can I do this? What more can I do? And again, it's that self-imposed burden that yeah. I'm happy to impose because man, I can take it. And yeah. man, I want to be a good dad and man, I want to you know be a good husband and a good man. But I appreciate so much, and I don't want to get this into like a, you know, a back and forth. Like, oh, you're so good, man. But like, I really, really appreciate yeah, uh, sure. hearing that from you because that is true. That lands really hard with me, and I hope other fathers can listen to this and hear that because what that what that feels like to me is this almost a warming. Of the heart. Like, yes, that is true. I do love and I am so present. And when I screw up, I repair and apologize and will challenge them and will support them and will show up and they will simply know that I was there. There's not going to be any question. Whatever the father wounds are, I think I have a bias toward like, oh, here's what could here's what a father wound could look like. And I go, like, oh, I want to make sure they don't have that one. And so in my pursuit of that, I will give them others, but it makes me think perhaps they won't be so big, perhaps they won't be so so deep, and perhaps the wound itself will not throw their life off course because I feel as though what's coming to mind right now is your life is on a course, you develop a father wound, and it becomes a bump in the road that shakes the carriage of your life onto a new path. And this path then has to be charted and navigated through the mountains, and eventually, hopefully, you heal and come back to where you were meant to be. But I wonder now, as you're saying this, if the father wound in their life will be limited in scope, such that it's simply a speed bump and they get to carry on regardless. And Mm -hmm. they might be like, oh yeah, you know, dad did this, but like he was there. And and you know what? It's as I'm thinking about it now, it's because I don't know what that looks like. Right. I don't have anyone in my family who stayed together. My grandparents got back together, thankfully, but even they had a tumultuous relationship. Otherwise Mm -hmm. I have no idea what it looks like to not have a broken home. And so Mm -hmm. this is all new territory for me. So to get that Mm -hmm. reflection, that it might simply be enough to be me as a father. That's deep, man. That's very deep, and I really appreciate you saying that. So, thank you.
0: You're welcome, and thank you, thank you for what you're doing. I'm I'm not blessed to be a father yet. I hope to be uh, at some at some point. And I, and I think as men who are very devoted to the inner work process and who have processed so much of our own wounds from our fathers and mothers, and I'm guessing lineages and society like then I mean, you do eight years of work, you touch on all this different stuff. It's a, you know, It all comes up. It can be really easy to be like, okay, I'm going to make sure that that never happens again, which is very noble in its intent. And, and to want to pass on the tools. And as you say, to miss the forest for the trees, like, oh, wait, I'm actually being present and doing the thing. And, and even, even if somewhere along the line, they do come back to you and say, you know, dad, I, they, they encounter some father wound that, that neither of you is aware of. And they experience it, whatever, when they're 25, they know that they can come talk to you about it you know they know that like okay they have they have say 20 years or more years of 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 being with you of feeling your presence and 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 the gift of your love for them to know that they can come talk to you about it because they've come to talk to you about a thousand things before and it can end up being something that you can transform together and that can be a, re- a redemptive moment for both of you and that they don't have to go spend thousands of dollars on a therapist to go get to the bottom <laughs> of it. You yes.
2: know? Oh man, that, that is so like, sometimes I want to use that in my in my marketing. It's like, dude, what is the, what? like what could happen if you don't do this work? And oh. I call it dad work, you know, men's work for yeah. dads. But what is the cost? So let's say, you know, you want to join my men's group. You think a couple hundred bucks a month is too expensive. Well, what could be more expensive than A, the realization that you didn't do this work and your kids never talk to you again and you live life that is lonely and your wife divorces you. What is the cost of divorce? What is the cost of therapy for yourself? What is the cost of therapy for your children? Because these are the natural consequences. If you keep living a life that we see over and over again in this modern society, which we've talked about already, what's going to happen? Well, I can already tell, like you already know what's going to happen, man. You're seeing it play out right now. Your children are, the behavior is that of having needs unmet, boundaries unmet, boundaries crossed always. You know, your wife is probably, you know, potentially I've heard this even recently, waiting till the kids graduate from high school and then leaving. And then you're Mm -hmm. left holding the bag with nothing, nothing that you worked 20 years for, nothing financially, nothing emotionally. Like that is the cost. So do you want to put a dollar amount on it? Like I, I hate sometimes having to put a cost on this work because it, it's so soulful. It ought yeah. be done in community. It ought be offered for free in some sense. And when I think about it in an economic transactional sort of way, if you buy, here's the results. If you don't buy, here's the risks. The risks are so fundamentally and foundationally dangerous to your life and the lives of your family. I feel as though this work is almost priceless Like, how could you place a price on changing your life, changing the direction of your child's life from one of potentially addiction and therapy and confusion? There are all these things that are directly relatable to how you father and Mm -hmm. how you parent. Like, oh my goodness. So uh, all this to say, like, If you don't have a self-help budget, if you don't have a self-development budget, please make room in your budget for that. And don't spend it with me. I don't care. Spend it on something that feels right to you. Because if you have a budget that's like, oh, Netflix, going out for dinner, uh, you know, going to movies, all these things that might feel relaxing and perhaps you need them because you live a hard life. Like, man, that is so not important compared to the soulful way that you show up. And if that soul is colored by... Pain and wounding that's unresolved and not being done in work with other men, I, I just I can't fathom how you yeah. couldn't take action. And so, you know, sometimes I enjoy triggering men on purpose to wake mm-hmm. them up,
1: right? I can to that. Like I,
2: I'd rather you get triggered on my Instagram than 20 years from now when it's going to hurt a lot more. Yeah. Because, man, come alongside us. Let us do the work with you. Find something in yourself that can be healed and like pass it on to your children. So a bit of a rant, but uh, <laughs> do your own work, guys.
0: <laughs> we have a lot in common, it sounds like. <laughs> no, it, it, and I, I agree with everything that you said. I, I think it's vitally important that men have some sort of self-development budget. And, and there's a, I lived in New Zealand for a while. And in New Zealand and Australia, they have this uh, expression. It's like, a, just take some concrete pills swallow some concrete pills and harden the fuck up. Right. And you know, It's a great articulation. You know, oh, I don't need self-development. I don't need any of this inner healing stuff. Like, Oh man, I don't, I don't need any of that. And, and okay. So let's just, let's just say that you're doing great across the board in your life. Maybe you don't, but you could be doing a lot better if you did. And, and you know, when you really frame that to a man, he's like, what are you willing to pay? But not just with money, like paying with money gets you in the door, you know, so you have to get in the door, but you also have to pay with yourself. You have to pay with your effort. You have to pay with your commitment, and and that will really is what generates the transformation. You can show up. You can you can spend thousand dollars or whatever and go to some transformative seminar, but if you don't do the work, if you don't pay with yourself, you won't get anything out of it. There's no magic wand that gets waved. And so it, it, so so for men that are considering it, which I strongly urge you to do, you know, there's also the you, you pay the money, you set aside the the say the financial budget to it. But set aside the energetic budget as well to make sure that you actually get something out of it. like I, I have a, you know I have, I have a men's group as well and the, and the rule is like look, you know just participate. That's all you got to do you know you don't you don't have to be in the group but just participate right and and because if you're not going to participate, then you're not going to get anything out of it of all of, us, of all of us putting in and that just goes across the board for whatever you're called to do whatever, you know, whether, whether you're going to the gym, like you can't just go to the gym. Like I'm just going to lift these five pound dumbbells. and just, I'm going to walk into the gym and then walk out and then voila. <laughs> it's the same. Yeah. It's, a, it's the same, it's the same thing. And so, but I think for a lot of men making the energetic space, like, oh, I don't, they like, there's, I don't know if it's laziness. It's probably laziness, fear, um, the fear of the, unf- so fear of what they might encounter, the fear of the unfamiliar, insecurity, all these different things that makes them say like, even if they had the money, they wouldn't, they wouldn't want to put the energy in because it's like, oh, I, I don't... They would say that I don't need that and then underneath would be so much other things. But there's so much that they could get out of it that would improve their lives. Even in one dimension, like with your wife, how many different areas would that propagate to instantly? And this is the value of the work. Until you start doing it, you don't know the value of it.
2: Yeah, and that's so true. And, and investing yourself. And one thing that I noticed recently is I spent a lot of these years and I was doing the practices and I was getting a lot of healing done, if you will, but I wasn't actually sitting with them. I was checking the boxes to get to the next one. It's like, I'm just going to stack self-help. I'm going to like, you know, like really try to be efficient (laughs) with it. So I'd meditate so I could stretch so I could go to exercise so I could go like do my morning routine so I could read so I could journal. It was Mm -hmm. like, check, 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 check. And I really had to,
0: it was improved. I am.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. What's your meditation streak, bro? I'm in like 5,000 days, but I haven't noticed a minute of it. Um, And so like I I did that for a long time, but it wasn't until I was able to like actually sit and integrate all of that, that things just like slammed into me and it required me slowing down. And for me, it was like a, a failure or at least a perceived failure that I was hiding myself from because i couldn't fail if i failed i wouldn't be perfect if i wasn't perfect people would hate me that was my story and so when i finally allowed myself to fail Mm -hmm. it turned out to be like the biggest blessing and i was Mm -hmm. able then to like fully show up as you're saying sort of energetically and let everything hit me and i think it required Mm -hmm. stillness required stillness Mm -hmm. It required silence and i just was able to integrate so when i meditated then like I didn't care what was coming next let's just sit see what happens and maybe it's 5 minutes maybe it's 20 minutes maybe i don't meditate today but i notice that i don't meditate and just like allowing all of that stuff that i was running from to catch up and i think that's what is coming up for me when you're talking about like getting yourself in there and it could be more basic simply like telling what's real for you. Like we do father shares in men's group, like Mm -hmm. share about your father because that's important or share about something. I don't want you to know, like you mentioned and just being able to do that. And I think you're right, man. Like there's a lot of issues that guys have coming into it where they can't share openly because of all these judgments and these, like the fears like I had about failure, you know, like if Mm -hmm. I do this, my self identify, my self identity will be so, thrown apart or blown apart that like, I can't bring myself to do that. And so I think it's, I'm not sure what the answer is actually, um, other than simply to like slow down and sit with yourself. And uh, I have been challenged on occasions, especially to myself and guys like myself who are sort of hard chargers. Like, can you just sit and do nothing? Like don't even meditate for like half an hour or an hour. Can you just sit in a chair and do nothing? And that's like excruciating for me. And Mm. I mean, obviously that talks to, society we live in, the speed of everything, the addiction to dopamine and everything that's coming with our phones. And it was the thing that really made things land, like really land in a way that they weren't before. Mm -hmm. And I used practices and tools almost as crutches because I was still so unwhole inside. And I want to sort of give permission to do that for a little while to men because I think a lot of times they see guys or maybe even hear stories like this where it's like, oh, well, like I don't have that kind of time. I, I don't know how am i going to like get there because it might take me five, eight years. And look, if you're doing work with other men, it'll take you less time, uh, at least in my experience. But if you're like, look, I don't have the time. How am I going to just get healed? How am I going to be authentic and like right away? And that's what my wife needs. That's what I need. That's what my kids need. It's yeah. okay to use these tools as crutches while you learn how to show up fully from your heart and authentically. And what that looked like for me was like, how do I get my kids to stop hitting me? Because my behavior has led to him being very angry and expressing it in ways that are really bad. And Mm -hmm. so I needed to learn the words, the affirmations, the emotional words, all these things that allowed him to feel safe, seen, soothed, Mm. secure, if you will, secure attachment. This is what um, Dr. Dan Siegel talks about. I needed to learn those tools and use them as crutches along my journey so Mm -hmm. that I could actually stand up and take one small step at a time rather than having broken spiritual and emotional legs, if you will, and not being able to take a step. And so if you're listening to this thinking like, oh, I don't know how to like drop in, that's okay. Like it's totally (laughs) okay to use them as tools and as crutches as long as you realize there isn't a greater calling or a greater purpose for all of this work, which is to get so clear and so authentic and so transparent in who you truly are showing up as that you no longer need them. And so I feel mm-hmm. like in my life at least I have cast off most of these crutches and, and call on the tools when I need them. But the point I think is that like at least in my personal journey, being able to feel into the moment and be able to show up authentically without wondering like, oh, what was that word I was supposed to say to calm my kid down? That's where you need to get to. Mm-hmm. And that, that's at least where I've tried to get to. And that feels so much less exhausting, so much less taxing, so much less intellectually demanding, where it's just like, huh, what does this moment need? Okay, let's do that. So I, I'm not sure how many different tangents that was, probably three or four, uh, but I'll stop there and, and just, yeah, just share.
0: Yeah, no, you're, you're right. These are the ability to uh, get good at, at doing inner work. It's, it's a skill. You learn how to do it. Piece by piece, session by session, with other men. Like you don't just become, you don't just become an expert at processing the the deepest, you know, the deepest pain of childhood in your first time. Like the first time, it's it's a bit like skydiving. You don't really know what's going on. Just like trust the process and go with it. But over time you know it gets to the point where you get good enough to do it just in the moment living life you don't need, you don't need a special container built or some a, a weekend like it's very necessary to have those things to set the stage to engage in the ritual process you know to have a, to have a container and all that stuff it's very very vital to set that up uh, and then over time it just becomes it become enough work gets done enough gets bucketed out to use the, um, the the metaphor from iron john where it's just like okay where am i at right now what just happened right there know but something happened and i'm going to file it away and come up with later and then something come up for me it's like oh that's what happened there that's what that that that's what was going on for me what does that relate to and just process it process it in the moment and you know and then when there are times when it's like okay this is actually touching on something much deeper in me that i didn't know about let me go find the support i need to actually to actually work with it because i can't just do it on my own that takes time that takes so much time. It's the same, and I, I like this notion. We touched on touched on it in the beginning of it's learning to lift the spiritual weight. It's like lifting weights. You go to the gym the first time when you get into the squat rack. Guess what? You're not going to put up two twenty five. You're probably just not going to do that. You're probably going to want a spotter. You're probably going to want to learn the form over time, and you'll see these progressions in yourself. Um, uh, uh, where you end up adding more weight, more weight, being able to lift more weight, and then you're just kind of proficient on your own in the gym and you can kind of get where you need to go. It's the same process just with your inner material. And the point that I need to stress to men is that doing one is not inherently better than doing the other. Because men that can lift physical weight are very powerful and are needed. But we also need men that can lift spiritual weight. We need it, we need it desperately. And they don't, it doesn't have to be an either-or thing, and nor should it be. In fact, there's, a lot, there's lots of overlap. I certainly have gotten physically stronger from getting, let's say, spiritually stronger. Because in the moment when the bar is beginning to go down and I need to put it up, I can clear my mind and say three words, bar go up. And the bar goes up. That's literally what happens. I'm like, <laughs> yes. there in the rack or whatever. And like my whole mind is clear. And I just say to myself, bar go up. And the bar goes up because, because I have that presence in my mind. Not like, oh, my dad thinks I suck. Or remember that time that girl laughed at me. All that stuff would be in a man's mind. And then he, his energy bleeds away into his, into his stresses and it leaves his muscles versus being able to focus it towards the accomplishment of a physical goal. So this is how being able to lift the spiritual weight and the physical weight, they feed into each other but they're usually phrased as being so opposite. And in my experience, because we're not we're not like I'm a spiritual being right now and now I'm going to be a physical being. No, we're one whole being all at the time. So one improvement in one aspect of ourselves improves the other aspect of ourselves. But the men's space focuses so much on fitness because it's, it's so visible that it loses the aspect of, hey, let's go do the work and see how it feeds into the rest of our lives.
2: Yeah, and simply being open to that possibility I think is important as well because – if you just tell, like sometimes I'll tell dads, like just go to the gym, just start exercising. Yeah. Um, oftentimes that will clear up or express uh, through the body so much of the emotion that it will come to be that they have more space to do the spiritual work. And I yes. think even suggesting that it's possible might trigger that understanding in men to be like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I want to be strong. I want to be ripped, whatever. But like, oh, I wonder, like these guys said, it kind of felt good. It cleared the mind. It opened you up to being excellent in other areas of your life. Like what if that was something that we taught guys in the gym rather than just like go crush this weight, like go crush this weight and then listen to how you feel. How does your mm-hmm. body feel right now?
0: How does your mind feel? Like imagine that was like I'll on the back end of of training. <laughs> oh man. Well, the, I've I'm actually been thinking uh, with a friend of mine of starting a men's group here in phoenix like an in-person men's group and because we had, we had been in a men's group together and it was very um very emotional processing very life processing stuff and it was going in some specific directions where it's like okay these men are they're they're able to go into their feelings but a lot of these men really need to train and they're not activating that side of themselves so my buddy sean and i were talking about like what if we did a men's group that includes like, maybe we go to the gym together once every couple weeks. What if we can actually go to like LA fitness or whatever? It's like, okay, all of us are going to, oh man, what an incredible idea. I'm going to, I'm going to take that. Thank you.
2: <laughs> and then I, I can't remember where, yeah, no, it's totally real. I feel better. Like this is such an, this is a part of my healing and spiritual journey is being fit. Like, I know what it feels like to not be as fit. And man, it breaks everything down. Like, your mind feels worse, your body feels worse, you have less confidence. You're like physically, it's harder to process things in an unfit body. And I think, uh, I can't remember who it was now, but there is a guy that I saw on Instagram who I think was doing this. It was all about like gym bros, but then he was talking about like doing the work. And I was like, oh, Interesting. And I wonder what that looks like. And I think that's one of the reasons that I simply want to continue to grow my audience because I would like there to be local chapters of all of our groups so that men can do Mm -hmm. this. There is so much value. And I'm surprised, to be honest, how much value there is in online groups. And I'm very grateful for it. And I wish that it was in person. And I wish we could do these things in a community. All that being said, I'm grateful for Zoom and, you know, that's the end of the story. But there is so much power in doing this work together. The physical body holds so much. There's so much that can be challenged and done by men challenging each other, like mm-hmm. wrestling. We, we met up in my own local men's groups outside all summer and we did like wrestling practice. We would spar mm-hmm. with one another and that was, I was shocked. I was like, Oh, I've never really done this before. It's kind of like, I feel stupid. And as soon as I get in there, it's like, Oh, I'm going to beat you. And there was Mm -hmm. something about activating that physical competition that was extremely good for like my spirit and all the other work I was doing, which seemed more heart centered, mind centered, all the rest. And it's like, no, you have to get the body in there as well. So I love that idea, man. If you do that, let me know. I'd love to know how it goes.
0: Yeah, because I think a lot of men, I can say for myself, you know, when I first started really spending a lot of time in the gym, it was emotionally challenging. There's a lot of self-doubt. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of disappointment that comes with it because you can't lift what you think you're going to lift. And if you try to do it, maybe you will, you're going to hurt the next couple of days, you know, and then maybe you're going to struggle to get back in the gym and there's other people and there's worries about people laughing and all that stuff. It activates. Well, I think, because I think a lot of, um, Let's say emotional trauma lives in the body and moving the body gets it gets it moving gets it moving in the system and to confront something you know really really challenging in the physical realm with which there's no negotiation you don't ne- you don't negotiate with the barbell it's okay. not going to respond to your pleas you know you got to summon the energy within yourself it can really touch on men just like sparring can it's like, oh, I got in a fight when I was a kid, and or or my dad, you know, would get angry and these are not me, or something like that. It's like the, the aversion to violence, the aversion to confrontation. It's like, no, exposure therapy. That's what it is. You expose the men in a in a in a in a relatively safe way to the thing that terrifies them and and walk them through it. Incredibly, incredibly valuable, especially for men that are more feeling and spirit centric because like we talked, we started talking about it. their guys are like, get out and go hunt. And that's, that's their default. That's their comfort. They're comfortable in that. And then moving them into a space of talking, you can be very challenging and be very like sit down and we're going to talk about this. Like, no, man, I don't need this. I'm good. and Get up and leave. Yeah. In the same way you have men that are very, that be much more familiar, much more comfortable with the feeling centric stuff. And now we're going to force you into your body and, and see what happens. And that, that would be fascinating. That'd be so interesting. Yes. That's where the work is, I think.
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I, um, I haven't done it lately. I got sick and then they closed a bunch of stuff because of restrictions and, you know, all the other BS that goes you're, along with you're, that. You're, you're um, in Canada, right? I'm in Canada still, Wonk. you know, I'm, I'm an enemy of the state. Uh, you know, I can't travel right now based on, based on my choices with my own body and, uh, you know, leave that you. That, I suppose. But um, anyway, the, the, where was I going with that? Uh, oh right, the one of the things I really enjoyed and would love to get back into as soon as I can find a way to do it uh, is uh, martial arts. Like I started training mm-hmm. Brazilian jiu jitsu for the couple of months before they closed everything, and man, that was thrilling, like completely mm-hmm. exhilarating. Being able to test my strength because this was a lo- this was a, a hole in my identity. I didn't know what my strength was. I never got in a fight as a kid ever mm-hmm. or an adult. Like simply never. I was always great at re- reconciliation, uh, talking my way out of things. You know, not being in a jerk to begin with, (laughs) you know, not being in those crowds. And yeah, it does. And, um, when I went to this men's group that we did outside, my fear was, oh my goodness, I don't know my own strength, nor do I know my capacity for weakness. Mm -hmm. How badly will I be beaten? But how badly could I beat this man? Mm
1: -hmm. And that
2: was like this, this unknown in my psyche that actually felt as though I was less myself I was missing this piece of my identity. Like what, what is my physical ability? I don't know. Like I play yeah. sports a lot, so I know how good I am at hockey, but like fighting different. And so doing this process in men's group, joining this, you know, jujitsu gym, I don't know what they call them. I'm sorry for anyone who's serious. <laughs> um, School. Yeah. So it, it was great because you, you learned and then you got to feel your body in all these uncomfortable positions, and not only was it good to like test where how strong I was, for example, and how how smart I was with my body, but I also learned. Like just how, even though I was so in touch with my body, I thought I was like, man, I didn't even know I could feel those things. And here I am like, okay, I've I've got to notice my feet while I notice this choke, while I notice them not touching my neck. It's like, all of a sudden I am just, I can't get out of my body. I am so deeply into my body that it ended up being like very powerful work, just personal inner work to go and start sparring and like rolling with these guys on the mats and uh, realize like just how far you can go with that. Like you mm-hmm. can master it, but it takes years. And that in itself, I think, could be a spiritual practice for a lot of men.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, a, a thousand percent. It, it must be, right? Because I, I would imagine you'll get to a place of it. In it. I've done a little bit of jujitsu. I prefer, I, I seem to prefer boxing and striking and may sign up for an MMA class just because, man, I get into the gym and I rep, put the wraps on my hands and just wail on the bag and I feel amazing. Amazing. I, I did enjoy the jujitsu that I did. Uh, for sure. But definitely to be in any sort of martial arts practice, you recognize that like your own limitations of, of cognition and belief will actually prevent you from moving forward. And whether you conceive that as a spiritual practice in terms of like, I'm going to kneel and pray, not necessarily in that sense, like, uh, oh, Wikipedia, the Wikipedia definition for spirituality, which has long since been erased, which what I think was excellent it was a like a process of personal evolution was how it defined spirituality like to engage in a spiritual process is a process of personal evolution and I thought that made it really concrete so if you're truly growing as a person you're engaged in a spiritual process that's what that's what I mean that should be the function of religion as well as to grow you as a person to be one of those things but definitely to really pursue a martial art to excellence it's got to be this really integrating process of you know i see like i have to show up every day i have to confront my own discipline you know i have to confront my fears i have to confront my self-limiting beliefs and i have to persist and be resilient through challenges and plateaus absolutely one of the most profound spiritual processes because it involves the body you know the arts are another one but it's different you're not gonna you're probably not gonna get hurt painting you're probably not gonna get hurt <laughs> writing you know what i yeah. mean you're probably you're probably not going to be confronted with your mortality in a really real way, you know, in the same way if someone's like about to choke you out, like, oh, wow, I'm a fragile being that could actually be killed by another human being. I don't want to ever feel that again. Yes, You're not going to feel that. You're not, you're not going to feel that. Probably, you know, practicing guitar. Let's hope. (laughs) And I think that's why a lot of men really like jujitsu is that it really brings them into their body and, and confronts them with their mortality and their potential weakness. If I'm speculating. Yeah, no, I would
2: have to agree with that.
0: so so do you, so the men that are in your men's group, I mean, do you, is this something that you encourage them to do? Is this something, is there some accountability component that you drive them to, you know, in terms of, in terms of being in their bodies?
2: Yeah. So in my in-person men's group, we have accountabilities. We make sure we, you know, we fill out the spreadsheet, we have meetings about it. And often there is a weekly accountability, which is to make sure you hit like five out of these seven things. And there are things like drinking water instead of Pop or soda, if you're in the states, I guess. Um, like exercise, right? E- exercising, um, eating like whole foods, and there's there's this very basic, almost like caveman understanding of life, which we've come so far from. Um, that just make you feel better. And so, yeah. yes, there are there are sort of accountability aspects to that as well. And in these new groups, which are online, I'm I'm thinking of how do I do this? What kind of challenges can we do? So these are, I think. You know, some are three weeks old, some are eight weeks old or 13 weeks old, something like that. 11 something, but don't do public math. Um, <laughs> so, 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 yeah, like I, I don't have a good answer to that because it's so important in my life that I just model it. Um, I talk to guys about it all the time, making sure that like, you know, personally, what are you doing here? But uh, it does bring to mind the, the need for that. And I appreciate you bringing it up because I haven't put a lot of thought into that in, in this new intake. So Mm -hmm. that was something I I will need to do. And part of that is uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to having in-person retreats. Right now it will have to be in British Columbia because I can't get anywhere else. But if I can get men in here, there's a lot of stuff that comes up with the sparring and with the breathing, with the cold plunges and with like the trust exercises of carrying other men. There's all of this stuff to do in the physical body that I'm very excited about. And it's a matter of like translating that to online. You know, like, Mm -hmm. do I just... Get us up and doing push-ups together. Like, okay, maybe, but like, what is the more consistent way of getting that in the online world? And perhaps it's just as you say, accountability and challenge. Mm-hmm. Challenging these guys to step up. I think that's probably the way to do it. Just challenge. Like, here's what we're gonna do. Make it even a, a crucible, if you will. We're going to do this together over the course of a week or a couple of days. We're gonna you know, video video it or whatever and um, and share it. So. I don't know. It's not useful in this conversation, but it's actually useful for me to just to, to think
0: about it. So I appreciate it. No, it's it's a part of the conversation that's um, that I think is growing in many different corners. I know that they're like the men's movement, the men's space is very complicated. And there's lots of different rooms in, in the giant mansion and some very much default to physical accountability, practice, fitness, you know, post physique and, and all that where it's much more natural and uh and i think what those guys do is is great and i learn a lot from them and, and i find that the other there are other corners that emphasize the physical much less either out of they are avoiding it or that it just doesn't even enter into the calculation i mean who knows but I, I think very slowly they're beginning to learn that okay no we actually need to start thinking about this this is really this is really important for us to um because it is a, it is a spiritual practice it is powerfully transformative you know during 2020 uh the first six months of the year i lost 40 pounds i got down to the leanest i ever had and wow. that was a time of such incredible creativity for me that was where the renaissance of men kind of came out of and so uh, you know and then during 2021 i was traveling a lot i put on like half of that weight again i've been working it off and it's like i'm slowly coming back to coming back to myself like oh I, I was like looking at photos, like, who is that guy looking at myself? like, okay, now I look at myself like, okay, I'm starting to feel like myself again. And I just don't think men understand. I don't think they do how mu- how much your physical body composition affects the composition of your mind. I, I don't think that that's well understood at all. Uh, and and how and how not only is your physical composition a reflection of what's going on in your mind it's sort of like it's a spiral it's like the mind influences the body and the body influences the mind and you gotta you have to break that cycle and because otherwise you'll never know who you really are covered uh, either either being physically weak and not understanding your physical capability or being overweight and buried under layers of comfort which is essentially what's going on if you were to strip that away who would you be underneath
2: yeah, that's um that's what I was gonna actually go to next is the nice. the obvious pain and poor choices that are evident in people who are not into this. Yes. Like it's very clear to see that the opposite of what we're saying is is true, which is if you don't engage in this, you I like how you put it, the the comfort shows up often in weight. And you have to ask, like, why is this comfort necessary? And oftentimes, in my experience, it's because the internal world of that person is so upsetting, so unbearable, that they need to comfort themselves with something external. And so I have sympathy for all humans because everyone deserves a fair shake and love. And I have massive judgment around people who show up um, obese, to be frank, because it's very, it's a choice and it's not a good choice, but just like me yelling and screaming at my kids was perhaps not a choice, but it was the result of everything I hadn't done. And so I wonder then if you are listening to this and are are clearly obese, like the whole inability to do fat shaming, like I think it actually hurts people. You can't Mm -hmm. say what's reality anymore. Like, hey man, I see you're like, you're, you're fat. And like there's no judgment necessarily. I mean, I just said it, there was a judgment there, but like I'm not I'm not I'm not <laughs> calling you out for being a, you know, a, a piece of crap because you're fat. I'm just saying like, "Hey man, yes. I see that you have made some poor choices and even if you don't think they're choices, they're probably choices based on some trauma or conditioning that makes you believe that you are garbage and the only way you can feel better is by eating." And that yeah. is tragic. And it's yeah. the same with, you know, there's so many things that we see that people numb. And like, why do you have to numb? Why do you have to feel comfort? There's all of this going around right now. And we're seeing in the play out of this, you know, last two years, everyone only cares about comfort. And imagine then the internal state of a world obsessed with comfort. Mm -hmm. That's really painful for me to consider because man, you must be hurting so bad. To want to change the external world so that you don't have to be triggered internally. What kind of pain must you have gone through for that to be a reality, for not being able to shoulder that burden? How deeply were you abandoned by a mother and a father who never gave you the tools to have self-respect, to be able to deal with everything that comes up externally or internally, I should say, that you make it about external, either by making sure other people for example, call you the right pronoun, which is something that's going around right now. And if
1: yeah. that's what you
2: want to do, then like, yeah, that's fine. But don't get mad when other people don't play along. Um, yeah. And if you're you know obese, then like, what is it inside that's hurting? and can you go there and can you start doing this type of work that we're talking about because it's not the fact that you are fat it's the fact that you are hurting i can't believe there is a fat person out there in today's world who's not hurting and i yes i understand that it's a world of abundance of overabundance where it's only too easy to overconsume and there's a lot of lack of knowledge that goes into people uh getting to that that stage but i think that we can help these people by saying like man there is a dip, there's a choice Go Mm -hmm. into why you eat that. Go into why you eat so much. Go into why it needs to be comforted and get people around you who can support you because on the one hand, like I said, I judge it. On the other hand, like I'm so saddened for so many people that this is reality. Like you're, you're just, you're denying reality and we're not allowed to say anything about it lest we hurt your feelings. That's where we need to hurt so that you make a change. Mm -hmm. And I I don't want to get all, you know, into cancel territory here um, necessarily, but- You know, that's, that's what's real for me. I just have this massive sympathy, sadness and like get your act together, guys. Cause like, you don't, it's not one thing I say to dads all the time. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. Everything that ever happened to you, all of the traumas and the conditioning, the environment, your parents, that's not your fault. You couldn't have done anything about that. Like you just got born to however you got born. And unfortunately, and in some cases, actually in all cases, fortunately, it's your responsibility. You're the only one who's going to save yourself. And so Mm -hmm. if you can, part of the reason that's important is because if you can remove the guilt and the shame of taking responsibility for that, like a fault, if you will, people feel like, oh, I must be bad for that to have happened. Therefore I need to suffer. That's often the, the case. If you can relieve yourself of that burden, that guilt, I think it allows you to take that responsibility. So whatever's going on in your life, you know, it makes sense. That makes sense. And I think that's a great three words. It makes sense. Of course it does based on your life and nobody's come to save you. You have the power to live the life you want to live. And that should be empowering, even though it's scary. And so I just want to encourage anyone who's at that space to dive in, to really go there because man, life can get good. And I think you've probably experienced this too, like on the other side of my own pain. And I was fortunate. I will admit I'm fortunate not to have gone to addiction not to have gone to eating, not to have gone to, you know, whatever it may be. It was just rage for me. And that was just as bad in some ways. But like on the other side of that, oh my goodness, if I could bring the world along with me, I would. And I guess that's why I'm doing what I'm doing because it's just so good when you put the work in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, it's a tragedy. And, um, I, I agree with you fully about the judgments around obesity and and also a space of non-judging as well. Like it's both, right? I was in a, I was in Alexander Cortez's uh, inner circle. I'm still in the Alexander Cortez's inner circle. And uh, I would, I would offer my fat shaming services to the men in there. Um, and I meant that very sincerely because it's, I don't think it's enough to say to men, your fat, get past it. Like there is truth in that, but it, you can say to them, Look at if you look in the mirror and you look at the structure, say, of your face or look at the structure of your body, you have that buried under 50, 60, 80 pounds or more, and you're hiding who you actually are. You don't actually know what your jawline looks like, you don't actually know what your arms or shoulders look like. Like, I can actually look at a man and say, like, say he's six feet tall and massively massively overweight. You could be a, a, a level nine handsome dude, but you're carrying 80 extra pounds and and what would your life be like if you experienced yourself that way and for men to see and feel a sense for the first time in their lives of what they might actually be covering up it really landed for a couple men and they started really working towards it i don't know where they are now but it landed to hear to hear reflection not just that you're not good enough where you are let's say but here's where you actually you actually could be as a man it's very motivating. It's very it was very motivating for those men at least, and and I think that's the tragedy, is you look around at the world that we're in right now, and there's just so much obesity everywhere, and you know there's all kinds of reasons for it: trauma, pain, shame, abundance, junk food, etc. Like we can we can name all the reasons for it, but the one thing that I really take away from it is how much beauty does that deprive of, us of how many absolutely gorgeous men and women are walking around carrying a whole extra person on their body and and what does that actually do to the world around us you know what does that do to them and and we may never know because i think uh, obesity is kind of it's kind of this shame death spiral unfortunately because whatever whatever pain the 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 man or woman is feeling they've medicated it for so long that they've become trapped and the, the obesity the weight itself is a problem and they can't even get to what the pain is necessarily until they work through all these other layers and then get into the core of it. And at that point, you know, it, 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 with full focus and dedication, it took me six months to lose 40 pounds during lockdown. I didn't have a social life at all, right, which is why I could do it. didn't know anybody. I just moved into my apartment in a new city. I was alone. So I had total control over my time, total control over my my uh, my diet, and total control over my environment didn't have kids, didn't have a job, didn't have to go to an office for a job or anything like that. So I had, we're all just home and that's what I chose to do. So people subject to the demands of everyday life, having a family, having a job that they hate, all that stuff, the amount of willpower and discipline necessary to transform themselves is immense. It's monumental. And to really step into the heart of that is is such a tragedy. And, and, And again, that's the thing like if you're going to hit the rock bottom of pain before you can change or see something aspirational, but you know, and I think you mentioned this earlier, this is the danger of the metaverse. Why should I bother improving myself in the physical world? I no longer have to numb. I can just go into the metaverse and be whoever I want and nothing matters anymore in the outside world. As long as I get my, as long as I get enough new nutrition to sit on my, to sit on my butt, let's say. And that's the yeah. danger of this of this metaverse world. It is it, the ultimate escape from any pain in the physical. Yeah, it's
2: uh, as I'm listening to this, I'm I'm almost thinking to myself like, oh, I wonder, you know, should you have gone there? Because in the, in the one sense, I go, I am so sorry for these people, yeah. so sorry because they're like I, I have to operate, and this is this gets missed by people who are just out to like cancel people. I have so much compassion to everybody who's suffering because I know yeah. what it's like. I don't want you to suffer, and I know as a fact, because I've done it, you can get better. And so like, that's where I'm trying to balance like, yeah. okay, yes, it sucks. Yes. It hurts. Yes. It feels impossible, mm-hmm. but it ain't. I've lived it. Yeah. And like, I don't have your experience. I don't know how much worse it feels, but like, like I shared before, I've, I thought I needed to kill myself to like stop this pain. Okay. So like I've been yeah. there and I know a lot of other people have been there. And so like I share that with you and I feel so much compassion if you are hurting and suffering and, you deserve, as a human being, and like you said, the world deserves to see your beauty. Like, what mm-hmm. could be hiding under there? And how sad is it that your self worth is so low that you feel like you need to stop it from being shown? That's mm-hmm. tragic. And so, I just, I just want to sort of close that loop to ensure that the you know cancellation mob just chills the the flip out. But what um, one of the things that uh, is coming to mind is this quote that. A friend of mine I had on the podcast, Dan Go. he's a sort of entrepreneurial fitness uh, coach. Dan. Yeah. And he um, he says, he asks dads, like, would you die for your kids? And the answer is almost always like, yeah, of course. Of and course. he asks them, well, would you get healthy for them? And it's <sighs> almost always like, oh, man, gut punch. Because yeah. that takes a lot of work. That takes work now. That's not a hypothetical What if you didn't? And this is like my own father's story. You know, he died of a heart attack at 50 and I have half sisters who are 18 years younger than me. He left them at seven and a half years older whenever he died. Because in my, I mean, we don't know, but I believe his heart attack was a culmination of smoking every day for 30 years, eating poorly, not exercising, a load of stress. And uh, just, you know, probably a lot of internalized shame on the outside. Looked fairly fit, looked pretty handsome, all that kind of stuff. But like inside must've just been rotting, which is, which is sad. Yeah. But imagine if you do have children, you're listening to this. And I'll just speak to that. Cause that's sort of who I talk to. Imagine you didn't take the work to go into internally and find out why you don't want to get fit. Or imagine you didn't do the work physically to go and get fit, to learn how to eat, to learn how to exercise. And that happens to you. Like, I don't know what'll happen in my life. And I always simply Wish, pray, hope that I will make it to old age. That would be a blessing. I would love to see my children age. And I know that something could happen at any moment. and I have to be very aware of that. And so to live my life. But imagine that you are likely to live to 70 or 80. Most people are. And imagine now that if you could make maybe an hour change to your life every day by exercising and eating a little bit better, imagine that you got to live that length instead of 40 or 50, because that's all too real. And imagine the life that your children would have with you dying early because you didn't yeah. prioritize your health. Like, that is, that's too much for me. Like, when I don't feel like working out, when I don't feel like eating well, it's just like, oh yeah, my dad, he just straight up died and he left like seven year olds and a 25 year old and a 23 year old. Like, wow, that sucks. I don't want to do yeah. that for my kids. And so if you can't do it, if you can't do it for you, I, I really wish that you would do it for you because every single person listening to this and you man, there's so many tangents in this. I love this conversation. I love, um, great. One, of the, one of the things I, I say to dads as well is like, yes, you're doing it for your kids and your wife. Cause a lot of guys come in and go like, Oh, I just need to be better for my family. It's like, yes, that's true. But most fundamentally you deserve to feel better. Like you are the person that I'm dealing with here. I'm not dealing with your family. There will be second order effects where you will love your family better and you'll treat them better. Sure. But the man I'm interested in is you and you are important and you have value. And I think as men and especially as fathers, we lose or we you know, put our own identity on the back burner, our needs, and we simply become slaves to everyone else around us. And that is, again, we're talking about tragedy. That's also tragic because you matter. As a man, a single man, a married man, a father, you actually matter fundamentally as a human being, regardless of how you show up with anyone else. And that should be enough because, uh, at least I see it, it should be enough that you are a human being and you deserve to feel better. Um, you know, And so you've got to you know, meet the man where he is. If that's not something he can relate to, then okay, you go with the family. But at the end of the day, it all goes back to the individual man and his deserved right Right, whatever you want to call it, to just like feel good, to be a well-formed human, to love and to be loved, and to live an authentic life, rather than one full of shame and pain and trauma and weakness in many Mm -hmm. ways. So that's uh, that's where I'll leave that.
0: Yeah, it's um, to get back to the balance point. Like I I think it's both that you can make both cases at the same time because we live in this hyper individualized age where it's like, oh, you know, my body, my choice. Well, I got, a, I got news for everybody listening. Your body is not your own. Sorry to have to break that to you, especially if you're married, especially if you're married. But even for single, single people, you know, uh, but let's start with the married people. Your body is not exclusively your own anymore. Part of your body belongs to your wife, Part of your body belongs to your kids, meaning that what you do with your body affects the people around you. If you overeat and you put yourself at risk for a heart attack or whatever, you know, whatever chronic health condition, guess what? That affects your wife and your kids. Your body is not your own. Sorry, you know, sorry to break that to you. I'm sorry that everyone lied to you and told you that, oh, no, what you do with your body is just your business because it's not. And even for single people, guess what? You have a best friend. You know, you have, maybe you have, maybe you have your family members. Maybe you have your potential girlfriend or your potential wife out there who you don't even know yet, right. Who you will intersect with and she will be wanting you to look a certain way potentially. And you may walk right by her and she may never notice you. Right. And that's, that, that would be it. That would be a tragedy, right? I guess we're getting a notion of predestination and all that stuff, but what, let's just go with it. I mean, but the point of the matter is that we we're hyper individualized And we think that what we do within the privacy of our own homes, let's say, has no impact on anybody else. And that's not true. And that's never been true. And so for men that are struggling with a reason why, because it's what many men need, what many men need is a reason why is, you know, guess what? Your body's not your own and what you put into it and what you do with it has effects beyond your own well-being. Yes, you matter yes absolutely you matter and and caring for yourself and caring for your body affects your well-being and your general presence and being of life and by doing that you affect the people around you and if you can't be motivated to take care of yourself for yourself then then let's motivate you to take care of yourself for the people around you that are counting on your body being there they do not Mm -hmm. want your body not to be there i had a friend was my best friend and I had a, and he was when he was in college, he was super fit mountain climber, all these pictures of him doing crazy stuff on the sides of mountains with ropes like stuff that I couldn't imagine doing. and and then he, he got married, he got a corporate job and I just got to watch this guy who was young and fit and lean and energetic as a young man get a bigger and bigger belly. you know he was in, he was in sales or engineering or something like that that involved a lot of like socializing, a lot of drinking, a lot of cigars, a lot of restaurants. And I watched his belly get bigger and bigger. And we finally went to dinner one night and I was like, bro, I got to talk to you about this. That's a, that's, that's not good. What's developing. That's not good. That's, that's, I don't remember if I said this, but I thought it like, that's a heart attack belly. You can just tell when a man's carrying a kind of weight from drinking a lot of beer it develops mm-hmm. in a certain way. It's like, you're carrying, you're carrying your death around on your body right now. Um, I don't know that if I said that, but I was thinking it and I made him, I made him very aware like, look, I want you to be around for my life we talked about being old men together. We talked about, you know, we talked about all the things we wanted to do in old age. I want you to be there for my wedding. I want you to be there for all these things. And what I see on your body right now means you're not going to be there. And, and so like you, and so that, the point was very much like, you have a responsibility to me as, as my best friend. You have a responsibility to me because you made these promises and I want you to be there. At this, just like you would want me to be there. And the choices that you're making right now are making that less and less likely. And, you know, it was a very difficult conversation. I didn't want to have the conversation, but as 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 a friend, I couldn't not. As someone who loved this man, I couldn't not because I knew that no one else was going to say this to him because no one else had as far as I knew. And so just just this notion that like, yeah, his his body is his own. I don't own him like in any real sense. But we have a bond, and that means he has a responsibility to me as a friend and brother that gets down to these choices. And, and I think that that's just true, and we need to shift our thinking as men to understand the web of mutual responsibility that we all exist in, because we all need each other to be in each other's lives. And if we're being irresponsible with drinking or whatever it is, you know, guess what? That has impacts on people around us. And We have to get past this massive individualization and see, no, we're actually social beings, and that's a vital part of who we are.
2: Mm. Yes, that is fundamental. And I I really like the sort of offerings to find where the motivation is for men. Are you motivated Mm -hmm. by the fact that other people are responsible or or want you to be responsible for them to them? Or are you motivated just because it's internally painful? Like what is the motivation point? And just throw everything against the wall because if there is something, you don't, it doesn't need to be anything specific. Just find your motivation to Mm -hmm. start Doing something. And like, it doesn't need to be the same as mine. Maybe we didn't even talk about your motivation, but ask yourself, why would I change? And like, find something you can just grab onto. And uh, I I really like the idea of sort of this mutual responsibility and friendship. That feels hard for me as someone who has a hard time connecting and who is working now on finding support and friendship. And that's part Mm. of my internal work. And I do like. The fact that we can add that layer to a friendship, which is like, hey, I I want you to be here. I really like that. And I feel a sense of like there needs to also be simultaneously a surrender to knowing that like I want you to be here and here is my desire. And if you choose not to do it, like I I can't make you, but I also want to honor the fact that that would hurt just so you know, you know, Timmy or whoever your friend is, I can't Mm -hmm. make you do this. But man, would it hurt if I lost you. Mm -hmm. So let's, you know, just leave it at that. And then they get to make the choice and they get to make the choice and deal with the consequences, which could be a devastated best friend, a devastated family. Is that what you want? Mm It's not what I
0: want. It's it's, It's not what he said he wanted, right? Like he himself, this friend of mine said that he wanted to do all these things, you know, and we hold men to their word. And it's like, this is what you said to me. And this is what your words are, and this is what your behaviors are. And so, as a as a friend, I, I don't I don't see you at work. I don't I don't see you at home. I see you in our friendship, and I'm going to hold you accountable to what you've said. And so that's that's what I'm doing. And I'm not doing it to punish you. I'm not doing it to judge you or to shame you or to tell you you're a terrible person. I'm holding you accountable to your own words. And that's, and that's what men do. And this shows up in so many different ways. I was talking to, um, I was talking to a friend, woman uh, a couple months ago, and you know, she was talking about an abusive ex or something like that. And she's like, and she's like, I have all these judgments of men and I'm like, well, here's, here's the thing that isn't obvious. Men are so atomized. Now they don't have groups of other men to talk to in the past. If that man had been abusive to you and another man, and he had been in a circle of men, other men would have said, Hey, Bob, cut that shit out. I heard you talking to your wife that way on the phone or whatever. That's not going to fly. It was only because this man is atomized and allowed to be this free agent radical without any other men to check him. You know that he was enabled to do that. So it's not that masculinity is the problem. It's it's this it's this atomized you know hyper individualized masculinity where men don't have accountability to each other and they're isolated from each other that's causing so many enormous problems. And to rebuild those bonds, like, no, you actually are accountable to the men in your honor group, whoever you choose that to be. If it's your men's group, great. If it's your, if it's you and your neighbors, great. If it's your best friends from college, great. Find an honor group and let them hold you to honor. Let them hold you accountable. It's so necessary. And that's, that's what I hear you rebuilding in so many ways, especially with starting franchises. How cool is that?
2: Yeah, no, that will be a lot of fun. That is like the end goal where, well, the end goal is basically to build a a city, (laughs) to be quite honest, where we can come together and build community and we all live on, you know, hundreds of acres and help one another and get back to just being in person and community. Um, But yeah, I would love to have spots all around the world where guys can just get together and build those groups locally and support one another. Um, And I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to have to get running in a moment, um, but I'd love to sort of finish up or finalize with any last thoughts.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've, we've covered, we've covered so much, so much ground. I guess, I guess the question that just comes up for me spontaneously right now in your process of eight years of, of transformation, what was the most Helpful tool that you found for you, like what was the thing that it's like this this really landed for me and, and and really helped really helped turn the tide when I needed it uh
2: three things to be honest, I cannot break it down. It was meditation one uh mm-hmm. ayahuasca journey two that was very acutely helpful, and third thing was men's group, like I said before I, I got as far as I could alone. And I just couldn't get any farther. I was bashing my head against the same wall over and over. And as soon as I shared with my grandfather, as soon as I joined men's group, it was just like, ah, this new level of being entered my life. And so if I could recommend, it would be meditation and men's group, because I think uh, you should probably be invited to partake in an ayahuasca ceremony rather than go seek it. At least that's my experience. So those two things, meditation and men's work are fundamental to my life.
0: Completely agree. Well, I'll honor you and your time. And, uh, and I'm so grateful for this conversation. I feel like we could talk for at least two hours more and we might actually have to.
2: Yeah, no, I agree, man. It feels fantastic and uh, very enriching. So I appreciate you having the space and to end the container.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. So where can men go to find out more about you and what you do?
2: Yeah, thank you. Everything is at dad.work. So instead of .com, it's .work. And uh, we have a podcast. We do men's groups. We are actually starting an online community shortly. And uh, yeah, everything. Instagram's on there as well. So dad.work is probably the best place.
0: You have a great website, by the way. I've, I've enjoyed perusing it and, and uh, learning a lot from it. So thank, thank you for that.
2: Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Well,
0: Thanks so much for this conversation. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, I look forward to more.
2: Yeah, me too. Thank you.